What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. It is that time of year again, Tom, where we have Mike French on because the NFL draft is amazingly 10 days away. How you doing, man? And Frenchie, welcome back. How are you guys? Frenchie, we're happy to have you. I know you're in your basement. We only pull pull the car out a couple times a year, so let's hope it runs today. going on in sports right now, but we we have to talk about the number one sport in the world, and that's football. Yes. Yeah, all over the world. They love football. Yep. Either or. It's crazy. This this offseason was amazing, and this is like, this is the best part, I think, for sure. Like, all all the free agency signings, all the trades, awesome, but everyone's already looking forward to the draft, like, as soon as the college season ends. Absolutely. Best part of the draft is every team gets better. Yeah, and there's always hope. But I will say, if if this if the NFL is starting to look like like it did this off season and and look like the NBA, I think I'm all for it. I think every off season to be a little bit more fun. Absolutely, but now we've got more drama, more receivers holding out. Kyler might be holding out. I mean, you know, let's see if the Browns take a QB first round, right? Yeah, and just flip him for sure. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, yeah. I mean, they don't, they already don't have one, right? Obviously, Deshaun, you never know. Yeah, I mean, Deshaun Watson, he's a Sean. You can't trust those people. No, see, that's True. not right. But we're off to a good start. We're off to a good start. <laughs> so, all right, Frenchie. On that note, Tom, on that note, you guys know how, how we do it here. We go over the French fives first, and we're going to start at probably the most intriguing position because in years past, we've had, Heisman winners and all of those guys, you know, national champions ready to be picked first, second overall and teams jockeying for position for quarterbacks, but not this year. Um, or maybe we do, but it certainly isn't anything like the last few years. So Frenchie, you should have a field day with this one. Oh, I, I need to intrude on your last point. It's not a question of if we do or don't, we do not. Uh, this, this quarterback class doesn't have anybody who would be ranked above QB six last year. So, you know, any team's really looking for an immediate impact, it's going to have to be in a really good place for them. One of the nice things about being, you know, not the number one overall pick is you don't go to shit teams. Uh, So we could still have a lot of success stories come out of this, given that a lot of these quarterbacks are going to fall to better teams than they otherwise would have been. So there could be some, you know, potential good things here. But there's a lot of rumors at the top, and, you know, nobody knows what's true at this point. We're all guessing. Uh, but I'm going to start with my number one quarterback, which is Malik Willis. Um, number one, he has game-changing speed from the quarterback position. It, his speed is the most dangerous thing that any of these quarterbacks have. Um, he's already come out. He broke more tackles than anyone else this past year. And anyone. 89. That's what Kenneth Walker has, running back from Michigan State. Um so on the ground, he's obviously already going to have a major impact on your team, and that's going to allow your team to succeed while the arm is still, you know, working itself out. Now, idiots out at Auburn thought that they should hang on to Bo Nix as the starter over Malik Willis, and that panned out great for them. But what <laughs> Willis is already bringing to any team is electricity on the ground. However. He also, if you're going by pro football focus numbers, he has the third highest big-time throw rate that they've ever had in a single season. 
it's 11% of his throws being big time throws. He's hitting targets deeper than most other, um, you know, quarterbacks in this draft are. If you look at the areas he targets on the field, he goes deep and he goes to the sides of the field the most. He's got a lot of tools. His arm is effortless. However, you know, his first role has to be as an athlete. He's got to improve his pocket presence. He's got to work on his decision-making. Um, his turnover-worthy plays were about middle of the pack, um, but the time he's thrown, usually pretty quick. Um, pressure's converting to sacks. He's able to escape uh, pretty often, which is always what you're looking for. The problem is recognizing when those plays are coming. Um, and then also just knowing when to check down and take a loss. But that's the sort of thing that you expect out of a college gunslinger. There's definitely a lot of tools here, but unless you're going to switch your play up, you know, and make sure that you're willing to play to his strengths, you know, he shouldn't be thought of as an immediate impact player. Though I think we would all agree that if you're taking a quarterback round one with the intent on them starting, you better be working your offense around them. And we've seen so many stories where coaches try and force players to fit their schemes. And, you know, that's when things go south, no matter who you are. Any comps to Trey Lance here? A lot of what you just spoke about with him kind of reminded me a little bit of Trey Lance, obviously not counting how, how little Trey Lance played in in school and where he went to school but you know it, it, some of those some of those traits sound kind of kind of similar yeah it, it is similar to trey lance one of the differences though is that the offense that trey lance had in college was very much more built around the pro game whereas malik willis has got a lot more rpo um, malik willis was almost exclusively out of shotgun whereas trey lance worked shotgun and center and uh, was one of the only college quarterbacks to also be in charge of the offensive line um, assignments, which Malik Willis doesn't have any of those pieces uh, in what he's working on in front of the board. He's a lot more toolsy than Lance was. Lance still came out with a lot more tools than he had refinement. But what Willis has, I think, is even more raw, despite the fact that his running ability is you know, as good as it gets. So you think uh, last year there was six quarterbacks that were better than him? Who's your best guy? No, last year there were five. Uh, what I meant was that Willis. Oh, they would be number six. six. Yeah, so Willis obviously all the first six. rounders last year. Yeah, and then it'd be Malik Willis. Okay. I mean, so uh, talent-wise, you wouldn't say that. You're just saying, guy, like career-wise, you th- let this guy talent-wise. Where does he stack up in your opinion? I mean, if we're just talking tools, his tools, you know, are pretty damn close to what you want. His arm gets, you know, a little all over the place, um, but a lot of it's going to be working on his footwork and making sure that his footwork is consistent. Uh, If you look at some of the big games that he played in, uh, he didn't always have the best games. Again, we have the habit of trying to force plays, um, that downfield mentality, which is great in the fact that he wants to, you know, keep attacking down the field. Um, but sometimes he's making plays that are forced instead of what's there, which, you know, again, how can you go against quarterbacks trying to do too much? Well, I'll tell you, when they do too much, they fuck up. Uh, but also one of the, you know, other pieces, if we're talking about Malik Willis, is he's a bit of a smaller quarterback as well. We're talking six foot, six foot one, 
you know, he's closer to Michael Vick than he is Trey Lance. If we're talking about builds of a body, um, I heard a Cordell Stewart comp once, which I thought was spectacular. Uh, but you know, all of these pieces, I think it just, when you're looking at what he did in the last two years, it's really raw. His footwork is just a mess. Um, I mess is probably too strong, but, um, you know, it, it, it needs improvement if we're trying to bring it up to, um, you know, the level where we're going to see him as a really consistent high level quarterback in the league, which is what you want. I think his biggest flaw right now is in, you know, the accuracy. A lot of that starts with his feet. A lot of it starts with, um, or rather, it starts with his feet, but it works up. His arm angles can change while he throws, but it can also become erratic. You know, he's he's a bit of a loose cannon. And, you know, part of that is he really does have a cannon. Um, yeah, a great coach is going to be able to hone in on that and turn him into something great. But, you know, you, you're hoping for things. It's, it's not settled with him. Frenchie, the last question I have about Malik Willis is, you know, lots, obviously you just went on, you know, a, a good tangent there about why he should be the first quarterback taken in this draft. But that's all on the field stuff. There's been a lot made about how incredible his character is. And there that was kind of on, on display around Combine Weekend in Indianapolis. Do you think that's going to maybe put a team in a position to say, listen, we're, we really like him. His tools are there. But, you know, like this is just a kid who we know is going to work his ass off and he's going to be a great representative of our organization. And we're going to we're definitely going to take a chance on him. He's a player your owner will love. Rather, excuse me, he's a person your owner would love. And, you know, that matters. I think talent brings you up the board, but character can take you off the board. You know, if anything, character, like you said, gives him a little bit of a boost. He definitely, you know, can be face of the franchise and handle that. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's anything off the field that you're going to find out or, um, you know, character questions aren't going to come up. He, he's, you know, been standout off the field. All reports are he's been phenomenal in the interview process. And, um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is the first thing I said, like your owner would enjoy having him as the face. You just got to, you know, turn down the volume on some of those, you know, big mistakes and, you know, let his talent keep developing. I would ask you what team you like for him, but I don't want to step on the toes of your mock. No, no, it's okay because the teams I like for him are different than the teams that I have mocked to him. And cool. one doesn't necessarily the other. I think the earliest team that would be good for him would be Falcons or the Seahawks. I think either of those would be good spots. I'd be fascinated to see him uh, with the Washington Admirals, Generals, Commanders, something like that. Um, <laughs> A position you know, of the military. Exactly. The Washington military. Rivera has worked with Cam Newton, so he's familiar with the same kind of uh, style coming into the league, starting off young, where you've got to find more creative ways to make them successful. So I think any of those three, if we're talking about the early spots, but also the Saints and the Steelers, if he starts to slip, or if either of those teams want to make a move up the board, I think both of those have rosters that are a little bit more built to win now and can let him come in 
and he, he's going to make some mistakes. You're going to expect that, but you can also slow the game down with him. You know, take the air out of the football, have some QB runs, let him go RPO, and just you know let the rest of the team win games for you. Otherwise, I think generally we're looking at where are teams going to be willing to adapt and work around him, and where do we have situations where it won't be on him to immediately win games for a team. Saints and Steelers have interest to me because they both have what you would call a stopgap quarterback, right, with Jameis in New Orleans and Trubisky and Mason Rudolph, obviously, in, in Pittsburgh. I feel like those two situations would be really advantageous for him to go into and not have the pressure of winning a job and maybe be a fringe playoff team. And then maybe, you know, if the if the player, if the quarterback in position there is struggling, he can come in and, and maybe electrify that a team halfway through or maybe, you know, three quarters through the season. For sure. And we saw what Lamar Jackson did for the Ravens that year when he started in the back half of the season and got him to the playoffs. And, you know, to be nice, we won't talk about what happened in the playoffs. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and that's absolutely the sort of thing that Malik Willis would be able to do as well. You know, I, I would have him as QB six last year, but I still think he's worthy of a first round pick. All right, Tom, anything else on, on Willis that you wanted to hit on, or do you want to have him move on to quarterback two? No, not at all. I mean, the only uh, thing I will say is I think we're only 10 days away. I understand that, but I feel like every year that there isn't a bona fide quarterback, teams try and create a reason for there to be a bona fide quarterback. Um, I mm-hmm. mean, te- a few years back, I'm thinking, although the quarterback class – Seem to be a little bit stronger. I don't know if it's shaping up that way. I'm thinking back to the Darnold-Baker-Mayfield draft. Everybody Darn. thought Darnold um, or it was it was Darnold and somebody else. Well, maybe Allen was the number one guy. And then out of nowhere, Baker-Mayfield comes in and becomes the guy with about 48 hours before the draft. You really never know. Yeah, you don't. And, you know, like with any player at this spot, one team has to love you. That's it. Exactly. And, the, the Browns and, you know, Dorsey especially love Baker, and they both have that same kind of bravado about them, personality-wise, you know, perfect match with the GM. And, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing where he ends up. Who's to say Detroit or Houston doesn't fall in love? Exactly. And it happens every year. I mean, you know, I think we have to go back to, what, 2013 till EJ Manuel was the first one taken in the teens? Yeah. You know, it, quarterbacks are going to move up, you know, regardless of where they should go. I mean, hell, we saw Daniel Jones get, you know, drafted at six, you know, Jake Locker at 10, Drew Locke, you know, goes to the second. And some of this stuff is just a little more happenstance and based on who falls in love with whom, uh, you know, or to use a phrase that Sean loves, who falls in full. I know you're going this route. I don't want to hear it. No more Dave Gettleman. (laughs) So who's your number right. two guy on the board? I'm assuming he's probably a second rounder at this point or a late first. Uh, yeah, I think that's a little bit more where my grades are in line. Uh, it's in the late one, early two sort of spot. Though, again, it's quarterback grades. I think they, they're grades on a curve. You know, it, a 90 for a quarterback is 100. Like, it's going to move up all the perfect time. Perfect way to so, put it. Yeah. Um, my next quarterback rating on the curve is Matt Corral. Let's give it up for him. Woo, goal miss. 
Um, now he decided that he wanted to play in the bowl game, you know, fair to him, got a little injured, eh, no problem. It happens. Um, some of the great stuff with him, his, it looks like he's throwing darts with a football. His motion is so compact. You know, the way that he uses his hips and the lower half of his body, a lot of torque, tons of power in the arm. Um, and he's going to rip it from wherever he is. His arm can go, you know, whatever angles you need. He's going to be able to make it work. And he's got a lot of mobility, very agile. I don't think you're going to be able to really build an offense around his mobility. But I think especially in the red zone, the way that he's able to move, and he has a great jump cut, which I think is um, you know, a little underrated, if anything else. But he's going to be able to be a weapon for you like that. Um, you know, some of the negatives, he's you know, a one or two read QB. He works mostly... Um, close to the line of scrimmage. He's not taking a ton of deep shots, though. You know, he's pretty good when he is. Uh, but really, it's something that you're working with him on trying to take advantage in a quick passing rhythm game. Um, the quarterback, if I'm going to compare him to anyone, and, you know, we're, we're just talking on the field, everybody, um, would probably be Colin Kaepernick. Um, they both have a lot of mobility. And, you know, they're the biggest piece that I think Corral needs to improve on is the touch on his throat. Um, Corral really only throws fastballs. Uh, and that was an issue with Kaepernick as well, where they're both just throwing fastballs, working out of their read option RPO sets. Um, but there's a way you can win with that in this league. And it's not as if, you know, players aren't going to develop and get arm strength and things like that. But really the, pieces that make me you know want to draft Matt Corral is the way he's able to move in and out of the pocket you know the aggression that he plays with as a quarterback he's just you know always juiced up um you know Lane Kiffin and others swear by his leadership and you know whether we're taking leadership advice from Lane Kiffin or not is a separate issue but you know fair as you're working you know close to the line of scrimmage, a lot of rhythm passing, and then let him hit those couple deep shots um, with, with the speed at which he throws. And I mean, in the motion, you know, there, there's a good quarterback that you can make out of them. He was my favorite eligible quarterback coming into the draft this year, watching him this past season in college. I loved him and Kiffin's offense. I think he does have a lot of those intangibles as far as leadership goes. And I love the way that he throws that football. Like, he was just making plays. It felt like the defense never really was able to to stop any of the throws he made when he wanted to hit guys in stride. And, I don't know, I give him a lot of credit for playing that bowl game because we've seen more and more a lot of quarterbacks, unless they're competing for a national championship, aren't doing that. Yep. Not only quarterbacks. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, you look back at everybody. Everybody that's a lottery pick. Is not playing in the bowl games unless it matters. True. Yep. How do you feel about ah. – so, I mean, I, I was just thinking of Zach Wilson when you said fastballs only. Um, <laughs> do you do you feel that he would have the ability to break through and be a, a true superstar player? Because I watched, I watched a little bit of tape on this guy. Watch some YouTube, Sean. I told you I didn't do any research. I did a little bit on the quarterbacks. Do you think that he has the ability to be 
I don't want to say a top tier quarterback, but like a top ten quarterback, because I do think the the guy out of Liberty does if everything breaks right. Does this guy? What's his ceiling? Is it like top fifteen? Crunchy, before you answer that question, real fast, Tom was a college football savant uh, title this year, so uh, he no really deal. picked it up. So yeah. he knows what he's doing. Ooh. All right. By the way, Good, I, I, I let's let's give myself a little more credit. I did pick Kyle Pitts a year and a half before he went out of the draft. And I picked the safety out of Notre Dame this year before he was big. So I'm pretty good at scouting. Yeah. I mean, listen, if all he has to do is find one great player, you know, Tom's the guy, get the number one pick. <laughs> That's home. all. That's it. I do. Yeah, I love it. I'm glad. Cause I remember a couple of years ago, back when you were calling college football game of Thrones, you know, yeah. and now you're learning how game of Thrones is. Well, I'm not. I'm still not sold on Game of Thrones, but college football is growing on me. It's never going to be <laughs> my number one thing. I just it, there's not enough there's not enough like parity in the league. I, you know, it's I'm not going to watch a game where I know it doesn't actually matter in the grand scheme of things. But it is fun. You know, it's fun to gamble on, and and it's it's good to get behind. And I like to. It's more for the scouting. Yeah, and I I love the point spreads in college football. Oh, like, they're, like, they're astronomical. Yeah, I mean, you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know, is Alabama really going to score 29 on them? Like, when do they pull their starters? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. It's impossible. Um, but back to Mac Corral's ceiling. And we've seen quarterbacks, you know, who've developed the traits that we're asking Corral to develop. Um, but I think Willis, just the mobility makes him – more likely to succeed earlier on and that have fewer the floor, obviously. Yeah, exactly. And when your floor is up, you're going to be able to win more games earlier on. Cause really at this point, we're talking about quarterbacks generally three to four years tops, you know, before you're making your decision. It used to be, they would get four or five years, but you know, now teams are turning after three years for Sam Darnold. I think in a better quarterback draft, it would be three years for Daniel Jones. Um, you know, but here we are. Um, I, I think with Corral, you got to work on getting to a third read. You got to work on keeping the eyes downfield while you move out of the pocket. Um, and other than that, you're just talking about how to, you know, add some touch on the ball for certain throws. Now, I don't want to make it seem like any of those things are easy to do, but those are traits that you can develop, um, as well as getting him a little bit thicker. Uh, you know, he's listed around 6'2", 200 pounds, 205, um, though he weighed heavier at the combine because obviously. Um, so we got to, you know, they, there's work to be done, but it's not like, you know, it's impossible for him to make those strides. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know. We're, I, it's it's just so tough to judge with these guys because, like you said, the leash on them is just so tight. It's like the second – they get drafted, they're like a brand new car. Once you drive them off the lot, their value is down 20%. Yeah, and that's the case, I think, with all these draft picks. But with quarterbacks, it, you know, everything is emphasized. You grade on a curve, but you're also failing on a curve. You know, how long did Evan Ingram get to drop balls before, you know, eventually he had to get shipped out? How long, you know, did there's a hundred other plays that we could go through, but every mistake you make as a quarterback is that much more severe. But because of that, those who are great get rewarded much more. Yeah. And obviously given into, you know, where these quarterbacks might be drafted, 
they might not be going to teams that are obviously like terrible. So they're going to have a longer leash perhaps, or if they don't start a year, it's like, Hey, that's okay. Cause it's still, we, we still want to see what this guy has. We can't judge it off a year. It's almost better if they don't play than it is if they have a bad season. Yeah. Don't forget when Patrick Mahomes came out, his footwork was an absolute mess. He didn't know how to read an NFL defense. And when he got to the league, he didn't know how to spot the Mike linebacker. Isn't that you know? amazing? And on top of it all, you know, there were major leadership questions with him. Chicago coming off of Jay Cutler just wrote Mahomes off because of the questions about his leadership. And then they were like, well, I don't know between Watson and Trubisky. And, you know, they still fucked up twice. But, yeah, you know. three years later, Trubisky's gone. And now the head coach and GM are out of jobs, too. Exactly. Yeah, there's always more on the line at this position. What's your number three so, guy? QB three. We're going with Sam Howell. Speaking of Trubisky, don't you hate it when someone's a bust at your school and then all that happens is you get compared to them? God, that's the worst. Uh, <laughs> Sam Howell, also University of North Carolina, alongside of one Mitchell Trub. Well, not alongside, you know what I mean. Um, and I think that there's really a lot to like about his game. You know, he can make every throw on the field elite deep ball. You know, not just in terms of how far he can sling it, but he's got a lot of accuracy with it. Um, he's another one who's really thick. Um, thick know, with two C's, couple, if you will? Uh, at least. Um, <laughs> but he broke 65 tackles last year as a quarterback. He had over a thousand, He had over 1,000 rushing yards. And his passing numbers were a bit down. Uh, his team didn't have as many wins. But he was also coming off of a year where his top two receivers and his top two running backs all got drafted. And he was still able to put up pretty close numbers to that, in addition to then becoming the leading rusher for his team and getting 1,100 yards on the ground. So I think that he's someone with, you know, again, some good tools, and that's kind of the theme of this class and what I think is the you know higher tier of the quarterbacks is we're looking at tools and how much work does it take to get them to the level where you're going to want to keep a quarterback. And I really think that you're asking, can they be you know really top 15? Once you're talking about, you know, can this be my franchise quarterback? And even we see teams with a you know, potential top 15 quarterback looking to make moves. But, you know, with him, we've got a thick build. We have someone who can, you know, he's not fast, um, but he's able to withstand some of the hits he's taken and make people miss. And, I mean, really, a lot of these broken tackles are tackles that get broken. They're not missed tackles with him. Um, now, he's another one. His first instinct when the, you know, immediate reads aren't there, ball goes into tuck position and he goes. The other piece is his anticipation. That's really what we're looking on. Um, him getting a little better at knowing that this is the slant and where it's going to be when my heel hits on that third step back. You know, that's when I got to let it rip. Uh, he's, and this is a big pet peeve of mine. He burps the baby in the pocket. He just sits there patting the football. Always has a big pat right before he throws. If you watch Matt Corral, you know, the throw just comes. You know, solely from that right arm. He doesn't have to go through the extra work of pushing it into his palm a little bit further. It but it also makes him susceptible to fumbles too, right? Like we see Jones do that all the time. Just patting, yeah. patting, patting it before you know it's gone. Totally. Um, 
Now, Hal does a little bit better job than Jones in terms of in-the-pocket movement, but some of that's also the fact that his in-the-pocket movement is one, two reads, tuck and go. So again, it's can you develop the eyes downfield? Can you make sure that he's hitting throws with a little bit more anticipation and knows where his check down is? And, you know, it, if you do that, you're going to have someone who I think, you know, very similar comparison for him, you know, would be a little bit more mobile Baker Mayfield, both about 6'1", 220. Um, and, you know, that we, we've seen that that can win games. It can, you know, Baker won a playoff game. And what seems like a year ago, but you know who knows. Um, and you know all those pieces, I think, can put him together, if, especially if you can get his mind to work a little quicker and go through a few um, more decisions before he tucks the ball to get out of there. You know, you could have someone who's pretty good. Yeah, for again, me, you it, got me. You got me really excited because you went positives first and then negatives, and I was like, why isn't this guy ranked number one? There's got to be a reason. <laughs> And then, and then I heard all the bad things, and I, I don't know. I'm completely out on a guy that pats the ball too much and is terrible <laughs> at second reads. It just sounds like, it doesn't even sound like a career backup to me. It sounds like a guy who's selling real estate in four years. I hate to say it, Frenchie. <laughs> I kind of want to piggyback off what Tom just said too, because I I was shocked when you said Sam Howell, and and I know you're going to give your next two coming up here in a minute or two, but I was shocked because. I just I everything I've heard about him I was like well I I don't know like is this another is this another quarterback that we're we're gonna have to worry about even making the being on the practice squad and, and getting into the backup role in two years like it's it's not a complete knock on him but you said well Baker won a playoff game at that size we've seen Kyler have some success but we've also seen really short quarterbacks not play that well and if he struggles making reads and processing plus having that tendency to potentially put the ball on the ground at a faster pace game, that, that really scares me. So I'm a little surprised why you have him three. Yeah. And again, nobody in this would be in the top five last year. Right. You know, these, these aren't the same kind of talented high caliber quarterback prospects we're used to having. Um, if you're thinking that the third quarterback listed is, you know, walking in and, you know, fighting for a starting job, you know, probably going to be a tough haul for you. Um, True. Now, he has just another one with elite arm talent. And arm talent can get you places. He can hit different angles. He's mobile. He can run. But you have to teach him how to be a quarterback. You know, he's got a lot of the athlete stuff in the position. And, you know, from all the other pieces we hear, interviewed well, leadership, blah, blah. He's got physical tools and – you know, you got to sharpen those tools if you want the best quarterback you can out of them. Okay, so who's number four? Number four, we're heading to Cincinnati, Desmond Ritter. Oh, um, and this was tough between three and four for me because um, Ritter has a lot of things that I love. Um, you know, the physicality that he played with is great. Um his decisions can get a little bit too aggressive. If you look at his stats from the Notre Dame game this year in particular, you know, his numbers come off looking great. But then you see a couple pieces, you know, Kyle Hamilton, you know, your boy uh, made a terrible read on one of the plays and wide receiver open because of it. Um, it was probably Kyle Hamilton's only mistake of the season. And, 
you know, Ritter gets a touchdown off of that. We have dropped interceptions off of that. You know, Ritter's got some, he's not a fumbling, you know, issue, but again, other pieces that you're just trying to incorporate, he can hold the ball a little bit too low from times. Um, now, not all bad with him, obviously. He's got NFL size. He's got a good, not great arm. Uh, he does well, especially working on the um, intermediate areas of the field, which I think are really, you know, one of the spots you have to hit. Uh, his deep ball can get a little wonky, though generally, you know, pretty good hitting that too. But what Ritter's got is, you know, all the sorts of things that you would want in a quarterback above the shoulder. He processes really well. He processes quickly. He's got good speed in the open field, and he's definitely a big threat. Um, and he's another one, work ethic, leadership, all those things. I mean, it might be because the talent's lacking, but these quarterbacks have interviewed better than any quarterbacks ever. Um, couple of the concerns with him. You know, he struggles even hitting outs out routes are supposed to be some easy yards. And if we're talking about, can you hit that four by four box, his ball placement just is not going to cut it as it is, um, you know, and he doesn't have necessarily the arm talent to just whip it there on arm alone. You know, you got to work at the footwork and, you know, work your way up from there. Just it. Part of that too, honestly, is the fact that, you know, Footwork is already pretty good with him. He's got a lot of technical refinement. It just seems like the ball, you know, is going somewhere it shouldn't. Like he's just missing a bit. Um, you know, probably poorly explained, but, um, you know, especially if you watch him throw out routes, you just notice the ball's not hitting in the right spot. And like when you watch a slant that just lands on somebody's hip instead of in front of them, you see a lot of those. Um, and it's not just the Alabama game against power five schools in general. You know, you see a drop from his usual play and to his, um, you know, grades there. If you look at his passer rating in particular, last two years, he had 105 and 108 as his passer rating numbers. Anytime you played a power five school, it drops to 70. And so it's not as if the team he had didn't have talent. Alec Pierce is going to be a third round pick. Majai Sanders probably round three or four, um, tons of speed off the edge there. He's had, you know, tight end that's going to get drafted. Like, there, there's a good group of players in Cincinnati. I mean, they did take down Notre Dame, but you're just wondering how much of what he's missing is going to be changed because he has some of the refinement and doesn't have the pure arm talent. Um, but he is a great processor. I think there's a lot of a Dak Prescott comp to him. I think mm. Dak pretty good guy to um you know compare him to and don't forget when Dak came out if he didn't get that DUI you know leading up to the NFL draft he was supposed to be a second rounder too he basically got a stupid fine and fell to the fourth round um long throwing motion make that compact figure out what's going on with the accuracy issues and just let him make the reads on the play you know Get the RPO offense, which you know all these college guys are really succeeding at, and you know let him keep growing. He's someone that we have seen a lot of growth from before. I mean, if you just look at his footwork again last year to this year and the way that he sets himself up to succeed, 
and the final thing I'll say, because I don't want to pour on someone whose film I really enjoy watching. I think he's, you know, he's got possibility. And frankly, that's all I can say about all of these guys is they've got some possibilities here. Is his throwing motion again? It, it gets a little Tebow-esque at times. Got to pull that. That's not what yeah. you want to hear. No, it's. I'm out on this it, guy. <laughs> yeah, it comes down a little <laughs> bit. But again, it's it should be fixable, and that's kind of the point with all of these guys. It's which of the things do you think are most fixable? And what are the talents that they do have that you can succeed with while you're working on those pieces? Or which of these guys do you think will be the best one on the bench for a year and then be able to take over? Tom, what were your thoughts before he mentioned the Tebow comp? Not comp, but reference there. Yeah, no comp. I mean, mean, it's much better than... (laughs) I made my... I I cleaned up my mistake. I'm good. For for me, it was... I just... There's a lot there's a lot working against him there for one. I mean, watching him in those big games, it's like, okay, like you beat I don't know, Memphis or whatever. Um, that's great. And, and you're right. For for a non power five conference team, he's got a hell of a lot more talent, but it's like so yeah, you you're doing what you should be against these other lesser teams, but then when you play the big teams you want to see somebody step up, but then you could also look back to guys like Josh Allen and whatnot who didn't step up against big teams and whatnot. Well, Josh came in his draft year to Oregon, but the year before he'd done pretty well in the college. Yeah, but that's... I'm with you. You don't want to just base you know a couple games to define a guy's entire college career. My but what means if you don't have the Josh Allen you know elite cannon of an arm is that there's just there's more work to be done and a lower floor. My, my real question is I'm looking at, I'm looking at like, I'm looking at the saints draft picks. Cause obviously, I mean, I hold out hope for Jameis. I, I love the guy, but mm-hmm. he's probably not their long-term future at quarterback. I think that ship is sailed for him. I'm trying to get a feel for where you think these guys are going. Cause I know, I know we're not going to do a full seven round mock draft here. I'm looking at like the 98th overall pick in the third round. And, and is, is the guy out of North Carolina, uh, how, or, or, or yeah. this guy, are they going to be available that far? Cause I feel like they should be and getting into a team like new Orleans, I think would be really beneficial to them. But are, are these teams just going to reach for them? Which by the way, you're describing these guys, it sounds like a second round pick would be an absolute reach for them yeah i again quarterbacks you're coming on the curve i've got of course Howell and, i've got Hal and corral ranked i got my full hundred piece off i got them ranked in the 40s um and raiders a little bit behind um and then we'll hear where my fifth guy is and <laughs> you know there's always going to be a reach because quarterbacks are just inherently worth more you yep. know you, if you get a bunt you know, if we're talking about swinging for a quarterback, like that's worth it. Um, all of them shouldn't be depended on next year, and some will be. And that's just yeah. how we're looking at projects. And 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 you already said that. I mean, the class is not what it has been over the past few years, and we shouldn't expect that. Yeah, exactly. And we just got to kind of hold out on that and look at the highlights and. You know, let that fan base cheer. Um, don't use the highlights to scout, though. Please, please, everybody. 
<laughs> Frenchie, the uh, only thing I want to talk about with Ritter real fast before you give your fifth is I, I was really taking some mental notes there when you were talking about those intermediate routes or the out routes or those slants across the middle that, you know, we see time and time again the difference between the quarterbacks that are succeeding at a high level and the quarterbacks that leave you wanting more. The difference is, are you hitting the guy in the chest or not? Are you able to get the ball out towards the sideline where the corner can't quite get there? Like, those are those are things that you don't think about until you're actually watching the game. And I did feel that way watching Ritter a little bit more this year, where it was like, hey, your, your stats look good. You, you won the game, and I, I want my quarterback to win, even though I think we all agree it shouldn't be a win-loss stat. But it's those are things that can that concern me a little bit. And I guess the biggest question is, is, is that something that you look at say, okay, he can definitely clean that up, or are his mechanics just – not right for that. The upsetting thing with Ritter is his mechanics are decent, except for his throwing motion. Right. Um, and that's kind of where it's a question about what's, what's what else is going on here. Um, but they're they can get better. You know, it's just a matter of how much are you going to invest in them? How much of an opportunity are they going to have to get better? And can they survive the opportunity that they're going to be given? And, you know, all I mean by survive is, will they make it through a season before the coach gets fired and new GM comes in and drafts the guy he likes? Right. Yeah, of course. That's what we see all the time. Yep. Is number uh, five, is number five, Mr. Small hands? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Coming in here with hands like that, you got to be last. Um <laughs> Kenny Pickett, I know he's touted as one of the most pro-ready, which in this class is the lowest bar to jump over. Um, we saw a major leap from last year, and uh, really the last two years into this year. His last two years, both seasons, he had 13 touchdowns, nine interceptions, and he jumped up to 42-7. and seven. And you got to give him a lot of credit for that. Um, he's got great accuracy, and he moves pretty well outside the pocket for it. And... Unlike Ritter, he can just whip the ball out to the hash. He does pretty well there. And he does a good job of keeping his eyes um, down the field. He, all these are very nice things. And that's why I start with that. So that way, whoever drafts these people can still listen to the pod and then shut it off at this point. Look at you. Then they don't have to feel bad. Um, it's Giants fans listen to this. Uh-oh. How's it, how's it feel when you're screaming at the TV for Daniel Jones to get rid of the ball? It hurts, doesn't it? Oh, it, it really does. If I had a soul, it'd be, it'd be gone. Yeah, he, he's got that. Pickett holds on to the ball uh, way past the very last second. Way past it. Does not throw the ball out um, and often is much more satisfied throwing a ball with poor mechanics off his back foot that he can't see the receiver for rather than trying to just take the dead play. Um, his eyes stay downfield. And sometimes that's great. You're like, yeah, you're rolling out. You're looking for someone to throw it to. And then other times it's just looking downfield and doesn't feel the guy coming around his backside to take him out. Um, he had, I think it was the second highest time to throw and he just continues to hold the ball through it. Um, a lot of sack, a lot of pressure turns into sacks with him. 
think it's damn near a fifth, uh, 18%. Here it is, 18% of pressures turn into sacks against them. Um, and, you know, again, a lot of the work happens on the intermediate area of the field. And one of the pieces that, you know, we hear especially about, you know, players from Alabama and uh, Ohio State and all these other quarterbacks is, oh, but look at the team around him. Like, if you want to look at the team around these players, Jordan Addison might be the best receiver in the country. He's playing at Pitt. And a lot of those back-footed throws that find their way down there, you know, a lot of that's because Addison's able to go make the play too. Now, Pickett's got a good feel. He can, you know, throw the ball with some solid accuracy. He's another one, though, trying to always break the pocket, make a play happen, hold out onto the field, or roll out on the field rather than standing in the pocket, trying to make the extra read or two and getting the ball where it should go. The end. That's an easy one. Where, where do you think he goes in the draft? Oh, first round. No. Yeah, See, this is why this is why we have to have you on, Frenchie, because he's your fifth on the board. You mentioned how you're ranking these quarterbacks. Yeah, a lot of other people all the other drafts, but too. dude, he's literally mocked as high as like I've seen him like as high as Carolina at six. Yeah, not counting uh, trades or anything. No, and I, I really think David Tepper could potentially pull uh, Dan Snyder. And I don't mean, you know, hiding money or keeping <laughs> the passport of your cheerleaders until they have sex with your friends, allegedly. Um, Brutal. Allegedly. When Dwayne Haskins, RIP, uh, was up for the draft year, it was Snyder who uh, supposedly uh, came down and said, we got to have this kid because Snyder knew him. His son went to high school with Haskins and pieces like that, and that was an impact there. Uh, David Tepper is an alumnus and a major donor for the Pitt Panthers. Um, well, really, the University of Pittsburgh as a whole, but we know where the money goes. Of course. And so there's already going to be a relationship built there between uh, player and owner. And there's potential for that to intervene. In addition to the fact that, you know, Pickett does have speed. He makes a lot of the throws. You know, his accuracy is great in rhythm. Although, if I can add one more negative, because that's most of what I do in life, uh, he did not play in the rain very often, but when he did, he did not play well. Oof, Seattle. Yeah. Uh, Pittsburgh. Small hands. Uh, listen, I mean, if, if they were another half inch, he'd be number one, wouldn't he? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well. Uh, there's the quarterbacks. You made me do it. <laughs> well, this is why we have you. This is this is what we need because it is a, it's very polarizing. It's almost more polarizing, I feel, Tom. I don't know if you agree, but it's kind of more polarizing this year when you don't have, you know, a clear-cut one and two and then the rest of the field or, you know, an entirely yeah. stocked class like we've seen in years past. No but doubt part of when it, you see the variation of, of everybody's list because, honestly, I feel like this year more than any is going to be a crapshoot. It's like – I think four of these guys are going to be a bust and throw a dart at who's going to be the one that survives. Yeah, and and that's really what we're looking at here is who's – last year it was opening up the chocolate box and being able to get what flavor you like. And this year 
I mean, I don't know. It's like open up your dog's poop bag and you're just like, which shit is going to, you know, stain my head? <laughs> There's a headline for you. Yeah. Mike French calls all quarterbacks in this draft a dog sh- or a dog shit. Detroit send the, send the aggregators. They're coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Detroit Lions grab the poop bag and pull out Malik Willis. Ooh. Can't wait. Oh, yeah. Speaking of which, before um, we move on, I know we're talking draft. I, I, I just, I'm also well aware of, you know, my list being a little bit, you know, outlandish compared to some of the other ones. Though, for the record, Pro Football Focus has Sam Howell at number one and Kenny Pickett at five as far as quarterbacks go. But all I can do is watch the tape and grade based on what I've got. And, you know, I've, That's all you I've can watched do. Every- all five of these guys have taken over the last year and a lot of games from last season. You know, this is what studying it's given me. I, I can't do anything except grade them on their tape. No doubt. Before we move on, speaking of quarterbacks, I just want to know how you feel about Zach Wilson. Sorry, Sean, I had to do it. No, that's fine. Hey, no interception over the last three games. I think, you know, if you're looking at Wilson, you can see legitimate improvement throughout the year. Um, I think his mobility is going to be good. And I think this is a draft where they can really give him a lot of talent to work with. The Jets have been great. I think they have the most draft capital in the league this year, in my opinion. Um, and based on whose numbers you go with for ranking and rating every pick, you know they're usually at the top, if not number one. So I, I think that we saw some good things out of Zach Wilson. I will say that, you know, super long run he had, you know, we, we got to give him credit for doing it, but the player did pull up. Um, but he still brought that mobility to it. He's still going to be able to get you those yards. Uh, I think he had a little bit more – what's the right word for this? Uh, finesse. He had a little bit of slyness to his game. That was great to see still being able to come out. Um, you know, and I'm hoping this year the Jets will do right by him and set him up to succeed because, you know, he – he certainly hasn't written, him, written himself off after a year, which, you know, we have seen quarterbacks do. Well, let's talk about how they might help him out because we're going to talk about receivers next. And there have been some receivers mocked as high as number four to the New York Jets. And it seems like there's the main three. But, Frenchie, I know based off of how you watch tape and, and grade here um, – you might like two of them even more than the big three, but let's go into wide receivers and give your number one. Yeah. Disappointingly, my list is a lot more kosher compared to the other ones. Um, but number one, uh, despite the ACL injury, I have Jamison Williams and I told you, Tom, and the, uh, the main reason for that is the fact that I don't think ACL injuries are what they used to be. Before the injury, I think he was the clear number one wide receiver and, you know, now it's just how much do you believe in the rehab process, which for him seems to be going ahead of schedule. He was projected at four to six months, and he says he's you know, moving along a little bit quicker. Um, and it might be a homer for this pick, but, there is, you know, I've got some Alabama players left out of my top five at other spots. Um, but I think his speed is, you know, right there with the top of the class. And it's not just his speed, but his acceleration coming out of cuts. He can pull away from anybody. Um, and I think he's going to be able to work inside, outside. He can go anywhere. He can bring the top off. He's got everything that you're looking for. As well as pretty good hands. 
but some concentration drops. And, you know, we're not talking Evan Ingram. We're just not talking Devontae Smith either. And this is a wide receiver class where we don't have, you know, Chase and Smith, who were my three and two players last year, respectively. But we do have some guys who warrant, you know, picking around the 10, uh, you know, pick 10 mark. And I will say that on my uh, top 100 list, that these three guys are all within five picks of each other. Oh, wow. So, so it's not as if I think there's a huge gap between you know, the three guys here. Um, number two would be Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State. Um, he's another one who's just smooth as a receiver. He gets open so easily. And I think as we're looking around the league, the receivers who are the most successful are the ones who – uh, a, get open the easiest. B, you know, take the ball and uh, make defensive backs chase them. You know, who can get behind and make the big plays happen? And then number three, who can out physical? You know, the game still has that aspect in it. Who's going to be able to make those most contested catches? Um, and I think the way that Garrett Wilson wins is by making those easy throws, uh, or rather easy routes, easy receptions. He's very smooth coming out of cuts. It's almost as if he doesn't decelerate at all. He's someone who you can use uh, on screens and a lot of other places. I think he would be great as a slot receiver, being able to get bubble screens, jet motions, all those different pieces there. Um, but he's someone who's going to be able to have that creative element in addition to being able to take the ball deep or just getting open underneath slants, ins, outs. You know, he's got a pretty diverse route tree. And then my number three is uh, Drake London, who's a player, again, number three, but these players are all very close to each other, and London's a hell of a player, too. Great athlete. He's coming in six foot four, six foot five, um, and is a really good receiver after the catch. Usually don't see guys of his size being able to Know, juke people out, but he's able to take corners and he can get over them. He's able to, you know, protect himself and move well when he comes over the middle. So with linebackers, he's got a nice jump cut. He's able to just kind of adjust and make sure that he's hitting the, you know, through the arms instead of at the shoulder. He's also another one downfield uh, player. He doesn't have the speed as much as Wilson and Williams do, but he still, you know, is a downfield threat. I'd say, uh, in addition to the fact that he has just some outstanding ball skills. You know, he's a receiver that already is making jump balls, you know, 50-50 balls or 60-40 with him. He's tough, you know, whether it's run blocking or going up to high point the ball. He's someone that you're going to be able to depend on the whole time. Um, and he played a lot of last year out of the slot, was really successful, but I think he's someone who primarily is going to be like, the classic Z receiver. And I think he's going to be really good at that for whatever team picks him. Um, the only reason I have him in you know, the order that I do is, again, there's three areas. It's basically just kind of ranking who I think gets the ball the easiest uh, and who makes life for the quarterbacks easiest. And a lot of that is going to depend on who's the quarterback that they're in and what's the scheme you're going to ask them to play in. You know, if you're going to ask Garrett Wilson to play primarily Z receiver, you know, running almost all deep routes, then, you know, you probably shouldn't be the team that's picking him. If that's what you're looking for, you know, go with Drake London, Jamison Williams, you know. So 
I think these receivers are pretty close together, and I have them all in my top 15. So very good players, not the you know top of the draft players that we had last year, but receivers who are definitely going to make life easier for their quarterbacks. And those are my top three guys. Tom, any thoughts on those top three before he gives four and five? No, I I like how you highlighted, you know, these aren't Devontae Smith or Jamar Chase where just pick the guy. If you have the pick and you don't need, you know, a defensive end or anything or, or a quarterback, just pick the guy because it doesn't matter where you put him. Even if you do need offensive line, pick the guy apparently. Yeah, true. Very true, as, as the <laughs> Bengals did. But, yeah. you know, this is more of a – you put them in the right position, and they're they're going to make life easier for your quarterback. It's more what you're looking for. If you're looking for a down the field guy, you take London or you take Williams. If you're looking for more of a inside slot, move the guy around, throw him a bubble screen here and there to to get him involved. You take a Wilson. So, who are your next two guys, though? Unless Sean has something to say, he usually does. Yeah, the, of course. Sorry. Well, listen. What do I think I'm doing? Just sitting here and listening to him and, and having no thoughts of my own. Um, yes. <laughs> that's not very nice. But I guess I set myself up for that one. You bad guys, um, Frenchy. Obviously, if none of these guys are Jamar Chase, where you just say, okay, he's so good that we just have to take him, and that it's worth bypassing an offensive lineman for our quarterback. Can you see a team using that influence that happened for Cincinnati last year and say? You know, maybe a team like Tom's Jets that say we have year two of our quarterback and we understand that there's other areas that need addressing, but we need to get this guy help because we don't want to go down the Sam Darnold route with our former number two overall pick. So we're going to we're going to maybe look at one of these guys and say, does he fit our scheme? And we're going to talk ourselves into taking him. Not that it's a bad idea, but can you just see that? Because traditionally we have not seen teams do that in the past with other real needs. Yeah, I think what what you're seeing is a trend where wide receivers becoming more of a valuable position. You know, it used to be that it you know top tier you've got quarterback just below them, offensive tackle, edge rusher. Now cornerbacks also gotten itself in that spot, and I think receiver is also another position that's moving up into that sort of range. Now over the last uh, five or six years, it is just something to bring up because it's one of the trends that you see coming out of the draft is only about 25, 26% of wide receivers sign a second contract with the team that drafts them. On the flip side of that, you have offensive linemen where it's a first round wide receivers. I meant Uh, offensive linemen on the other side of that, it's over 50% sign a second contract with the team that drafts them. Now I don't know how much that's going to play in, as a factor when you're making these decisions on whether or not um, this is, because if you don't think a guy will sign a second contract with you, you shouldn't take them at all. But the mobility we're seeing, I mean, Tyree Kill got traded. Devontae Adams got traded. Anyone can get moved. And the wide receiver position is one where we've seen, you know, Odell Beckham, you know, work his way out. So twice thing to watch out for, as far as, you know, NFL trends go, we're seeing one trend in which, you know, going with a star wide receiver at the top can pay major dividends. And they're showing that the value of the receiver is going to be just as strong. And the other side where it's still a position that has a lot of um, league mobility in a way that other positions don't. But again, if you think your guy may not sign a second 
contract because of the position he plays. Um, you shouldn't be taking him because you should be taking the player that you believe in. Is you know, if you just say, "Oh, it's a wide receiver," and you know, maybe we shouldn't trust him in the same way. You know, you, you've already asked the question wrong. But it, it's an interesting trend. It is, especially when not all situations are exactly the same. You know, the Bengals had Burrow into year two, but everybody kind of agreed that, okay, we've seen enough where if we get him help, this is a guy that's going to be around for a long time. Whereas if you do have a situation with the Jets, it's like one more bad year, and you're already talking about how you might be drafting another guy after Wilson. So I don't know. But anyway, go on to four and five. Yeah, so four and five at four, I have Chris Olave. Big play Olave. Um He's someone who has a lot of polish. Uh, is it some Calvin Ridley to him? Some Jer- not as big as Jerry Juvi, but that kind of you know, technical route running ability with the deep speed that you want, uh, as well as he's got pretty good hands. Um, career drop rate under five percent, which is great. Um, part of you know what we're looking at with him as well is. He's someone who I think we wouldn't necessarily call dynamic. Um, he's a good route runner, catches the ball, and gets tackled. And there's your game. Um, he's got good speed, but he's not particularly agile. He doesn't, you know, or he's not agile with the ball in his hand. He's not, uh, you know, breaking tackles. You're using him as someone who's going to catch the ball and get hit where they are. And, you know, that still has a lot of value because he's going to get open and make those plays and, you know, great hands to go with it. So if you can get something after the catch with him, you know, that's a wonderful thing. And, you know, Justin Jefferson was my number four wide receiver once upon a time. So clearly that's got some good luck to it. Uh, And then my number five is Traylon Burks, the wide receiver out of Arkansas. And he's someone who uh, I think, God, his highlight film is unbelievable, but a lot of that comes out in the ways that they're using him here and how often he's involved. You know, he's a receiver who we're talking about being, you know, 6'3", 225, you know, very strong player. And much of what we're getting, you know, watching him is you get to see that strength. And I know it's something of a curse to call somebody Debo Samuel, and he's not going to be Debo Samuel because there are very few of that. Uh, but he's got a lot of speed, size. They use him on jet sweeps. They use him on bubble screens. They use him as their you know, deep route guy. And he's someone who's going to be fighting with cornerbacks all the way down the field and win a lot of them. He's on the other side of that, a little stiff sometimes and totally untested in press coverage. Um, so again, that's a question. It's not an answer. And a lot of teams will be able to get that part of, you know, the great thing that I've got is, you know, I have numbers and tape and that's it. So I don't get, you know, I don't fall in love with players, you know, unless they're on my team, obviously, or they beat teams I hate. But beyond that, I don't get to meet these players and interview them, and figure out some of the things that, you know, all I have is questions, whereas teams get to have answers. And, you know, that's a great thing for them because that process is more important than most of what I'm doing or any of us where all we're doing is watching film and we don't get to know the guys and as a route runner, he can still improve. You know, there's not a ton of twitchiness 
I think being able to make a break and not try and win fights, but win routes is something that, you know, we could really have. But I think he offers a lot just in terms of size, speed, physicality, verticality, and the ability to play inside and outside. So uh, I think particularly as a red zone threat, Burks is going to be able to do really well. Sean? I was going to let you go, but I'll lead off, I guess, with questions here. Um, Frenchy, as far as as far as he goes, like where I guess the question is, is where would you see a best fit kind of offensive for him? You mentioned Debo Samuel as a comp. Like, does there have to be an offense that he fits in better? Can he kind of can you curtail your offense to him? Does he kind of just fit in anywhere? I guess is is my overarching question because I, I admittedly did not watch him as much as I watched the other four. Oh man, you got to watch more Arkansas tape. That's a fun offense. Of course, uh, I think he's somebody that he gives you options. I think he's someone who can fill the role that he's already just physically built for in terms of working big slot and then sometimes also you know involved playing the Z spot and running some of those deeper routes, deep posts especially with him. Um, but there's obviously going to be some offenses that he'll work better in than others. And he's got a skill set where he ought to be involved in more ways than just, you know, running the same, you know, Des Bryant style, you know, three reps, which is a bit of what he did. And again, his route running nuance needs to improve, but you know, there's, there's talent here that can be used in a lot of ways. And I think it'd be something of a shame if he went to a place and just had, you know, the assignment of go out and run your routes in the end. You know, he's someone involved in giving the bubble screen, let him come on a jet sweep, um, you know, and then let, try and hit the home runs, get him downfield a bit, and, you know, see what you got. Sounds like a rhythm guy, where if you can get him a couple touches in a possession, that's that's pretty good for you, and, and you could probably, could probably find yourself in the end zone. Yeah, for sure. And again, he's someone who's always been a high volume player. He has a lot of 10 touch games. Um, you know, we have so many players coming out who are averaging like four or five big catches a game. But, you know, Burks routinely you're seeing games with 12 catches and four rushes. Um, now, he's not running away from defenders, but he's going to be able to go up with them and get the ball. And his you know, biggest adjustment might be the lack of touches and trying to adjust to not being a number one and trying to get into rhythm again. But he's someone, if you give him the opportunities, I think can do really well, you know, getting himself and your team into those rhythms. You know, he's just a high motor guy and um, the sorts of plays he's going to be able to make. You don't find a ton of uh, players who can. Um, any thoughts on Burks or Olave? No, I mean, these are pretty much – those are the only five I watched excluding the guy out of Western Michigan and North Dakota state, just cause I always love like the, I guess you would call them mid major schools. And, and that's pretty much where I had them ranked at too. How'd you feel about uh, Sky Moore and Christian Watson? Christian Watson. I, I mean, I, I didn't really see any, the fact this aside from the fact that he's a big guy, I didn't really mm-hmm. see anything special out of him, but more honestly, he reminded me a lot of Elijah Moore on the Jets. Oh, interesting. Not just to compare it to the last names, but this same size, shifty guy. 
can you can stick him yeah. out, like you said at that Z spot, but you can also kind of play him. He's in this draft. I think he's a poor man's Wilson. Interesting. Yeah, I I have him at number six. Another yeah. piece with him, especially as you're talking about, you know, his elusiveness. It's not just to get open, but also he forced more missed tackles than any other receiver last year. Yeah, he's he's like a little jitterbug. His always feet are always moving, and he's a guy who can. He doesn't even when he's not open, he's open because he's going to create that that inch of space that you need to get open. Kind of like uh, I don't know, the guy that comes to mind always is a Julian Edelman, where he doesn't blaze yep. you with the speed, but those short technical moves, he's always going to get open, and he can be a safety blanket. Yeah, fresh your boy Renfro. True, oh, Renfro gosh. as well. Yes, it's such a good player, but damn it, if he didn't break my heart. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go into running backs. All right. Um, yeah, this one, not as exciting as my quarterback list, but, you know, nothing ever is. Uh, number one, Kenneth Walker out of Michigan State. Love the way that he plays. Tons of power, very compact, um, you know, in the 5'9 range. But he's, he's just built well. He's built big. And I think one of the things that we're really seeing in the NFL right now is the success of these bigger running backs. Uh, they're able to take more hits, but they're also able to make teams adjust. You know, so many defenses have switched to having smaller linebackers and extra safeties and primarily playing out of the nickel. So when you get a big running back, at, you know, 5'9", 210, uh, is built the way he's built. Uh, if he has a percent of fat on him, I'll be shocked. Um, but he's got so much power to play with in addition to some speed, some elusiveness and, you know, the ability to just make people miss to shed tackles. He had more yards after contact than any player last year. Um, and I, you just have to love the way that he plays. He had more carries of over 15 yards as well. I don't think he's in the Ezekiel Elliott class in terms of as an athlete, but if you remember the ways that Ezekiel, used to run, um, you're going to see some of those similarities here. Um, another comp I've heard is D'Angelo Williams. I think that one's pretty decent as well. Um, but, you know, there's a lot to like in Walker's game. Uh, my next one is Brees Hall out of Iowa State. And I know he's always a favorite when um, you get a chance to talk about him. Now, is he as good as David Montgomery was? I mean, yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. Um, Hall is really good he can definitely be the bell cow he's so great as a receiver as well and great balance i think is one of the things you really see from him um being so balanced especially as a receiver and i'll get back to how good he is as a runner in a second um allows you so many other things screens are just more dangerous and that slows down the opposing pass rush and it's strange when a running back can slow down a pass rush like that but you know he has to do that he's very difficult to bring down very shifty um you know 74 missed tackles like that that just um doesn't happen too much he's not going to be someone who lowers the shoulder and delivers the boom but he's got a ton of speed uh, he broke the combine, and I think it showed a lot of the explosion. Um, really good as a receiver, very good as a runner. Pass blocking, meh, 
And, you know, you have to make sure that you're giving him uh, plays in the system that work with him. He's not someone who's run a ton between the tackles because he's not going to break the arm tackles of defensive linemen there. But he's someone who I think, especially in a zone type scheme, can have a lot of success. Um, you know, he can be used in you know, different ways as a receiver, other things like that, as well as, you know, if you give him the sort of scheme where he's already moving sideways and he has to get the one cut and get up, um, I think that's some ways that he can be really successful given the right, you know, team and system built around him. And those are the two that I have um, kind of on their own tier in this class. And I put them somewhere in, you know, late first to mid second. Okay. I mean, I, I was going to ask you where you see the, where you see a potential landing spot for, for one of these guys. Cause running back obviously is a position that <laughs> is, should not be as highly valued as we've seen in the past. Dave Gettleman, Saquon Barkley. Um, why don't you round out three through five for us? Unless Tom, you have any thoughts on these two guys? No. Um, I mean, I think they're clearly the top two, but again, I, you know, my argument about running backs, so I don't think they should be, I don't think they should be lottery picks or even close. If you want to grab one in the late first round, fair game. Like the guy, uh, who was it, from Alabama last year, Najee Harris. If you want to do that, fine, but don't don't waste your top ten pick because that means you guys sucked and a running back's not going to put you over the top. Agreed. And I think, you know, we've seen that every time somebody tries to do it. And not and to mention the undrafted guy that you can get that you see three of them every year that are pretty decent running backs is not that much worse than the first round guy. Totally with you. Um, but my next three, Brian Robinson out of Alabama, uh, you know exactly what you're getting really first two downs and a ton of power, a goal line running back. Um, you know, he's got a decent jump cut and is really good in pass protection. Receiving back, not so much, but he did have one great catch. Um, you know, he's not getting out in the open field elusive. He's getting a swing pass and is going to fall forward over a cornerback. You know, so that's kind of what you're getting. And we've seen it be very successful. And especially, you know, you get goal line, you get fourth and one. He's a running back who's always going to, you know, fall forward for you. Six, one, two, thirty. Uh, number four, James Cook. Uh, you may know him from Dalvin. Dalvin's his older brother. Nice guy. Oh, side note for talking family. Uh, Herschel Walker is the uncle to Brees Hall. Huh. Oh, interesting. Good ties yeah. there. But James Cook, uh, you know, has some similarities but uh, to Dalvin, but doesn't have his you know, pure power. I think he's, you know, somewhere between Dalvin Cook and Kevin Falk, um, which is a weird pair to try and mesh together, but... Cook has really been used as, you know, one-two in a duo. So he's been used to that sort of piece. He's a little light, um, but he's got a ton of speed, great agility, very good acceleration, natural receiver. Um, this is a running back, and he's had 68 passes that he could catch with one drop. Um, yeah, so not just targets, but, you know, pieces around him. He's a home run hit. Anytime he touches the ball, it can happen. Uh, anytime you're hitting him on a swing or a Texas, especially on that little angle route, 
um, going back up towards the linebackers. You know, if he gets behind him, it could be scary. Someone again, you know, that has a role that they can fill once they get to the league, you know, both as a receiving back, you know, and as kind of a partner with whoever they end up. And if he gets more strength, you know, we can see what adding muscle mass will do has, you know, not much power to his game, but great agility, great hands and, you know, speed that's going to make defenses pay if they, you know, let him get a little loose. Uh, and then my fifth running back on this list is Isaiah Spiller out of Texas A&M, who is, you know, a little bit more bland than the rest of these guys. He's like a toddler for, for, uh, or a toddler. It's like a, a curry for toddlers. Good Lord. Um, <laughs> You're doing a lot of talking, Frenchie. Yeah, my mouth is uh, getting too dry. All right, good. Now, uh, Isaiah Spiller, we have good hands, good technique, um, someone who has done a lot. He's taken a really heavy workload, but he has you know, very good balance. He gets through arm tackles. You know, he's someone who I think is going to be, you know, in the league for a while, not as an elite back, but he's someone who's, you know, good and checks every box, doesn't have elite speed, doesn't have elite quickness, um, but is very good in just about everything. And, you know, that's really what you want. Um, I will say he's one spot where he is very good is uh, finding gaps to run through, particularly on um, you know, zone left and zone uh, right running spots. And those instincts, I think, will be able to help him overcome the fact that he's not elite athletically at any of those other spots. The game against Bama for him was the one where I was, like, really impressed with. Because not that Bama's defense was amazing this year, but, like, just his ability to get first downs and have guys, you know, miss tackles and, and get through those very small gaps, I thought was really impressive. Yeah, he's he's really good at finding the hole in the line. And it, when he's getting tackled, he's really good at attacking a defender's weak spot. So not letting you hit, you know, pure shoulder into chest, but making the little moves so that he can keep sliding forward and gain an extra yard. He's very savvy. What are your thoughts, Tom? I just had a question on Jerome Ford. What are your thoughts on him out of Cincinnati? I, I watched him more than I probably would, being that Cincinnati was in the college football playoff, and he was a guy I filed away that I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, good player. One of those you know other talented players that's running around some people. Uh, I think he's... He's someone with, again, a lot of speed and acceleration, I think, might even be better than his speed. Um, very quick out of his cuts, which you love to see. Um, and he also has a style, I think, that would endear him to fans, just being as quick as he is. Uh, it, he's, he's a joy to watch. Um, some of the worry with him in terms of where he's going to end up is the fact that he's always trying to hit the home runs. Um, he's someone who has a lot of plays that end up as negatives, trying to you know make too many moves and break the right pieces. Um, he's a great athlete. He's just got a couple pieces that he needs to work on in terms of you know vision 
and his mentality. Um, and, you know, that, that's really it. Though, again, if, you know, one more piece, and we saw Jonathan Taylor, you know, clean this up a lot is, you know, fumbles. Uh, yeah. He's got to do a better job holding on to the ball. Yeah, he was but just that, somebody you, who, yeah. when you watch those games, it was like he looked like he belonged against the totally. Alabamas and whatnot. Totally, because the way that he can just cut up field in an instant, you know, he, he's someone who I think, again, he's not going to be a lead back, but he's definitely someone you would want to have on your roster. Yeah. I also don't worry too much about running backs who have the case of fumbleitis in college because we've seen time and time again, yeah. I mean, most recently, Taylor, as you mentioned, Frenchie, Tiki Barber, guys that had issues that were able to clean it up really well. Quarterbacks, that's the big problem. I don't know if you can get much better. If you have the problem, you have the problem. But I think running backs, because of just the nature in which they can get coached on the next level, uh, those are, I think, that's a trait that I don't think you worry too much about, maybe as much as you used to. Yeah, and again, it's one of those things where, you know, for us it's a question, and for teams they have answers because they get to yeah. meet with them and run them through all sorts of drills and, you know, work with them. And we don't know what players are working on, you know, throughout the off season and the ways that they're getting themselves better. Um, but I, just, you know, for your own notification, I have Ford at number seven behind Damian Pierce out of Florida. Okay. I'll take that. Um, all right, you ready to move on to tight ends? Absolutely. Uh, my number one guy, I think, is just about everybody's number one guy, Trey McBride. He had over 90 receptions last year. Um, and it's it's very rare, especially in college, where you get to see a team build their offense around a tight end. And that's exactly what you know he had done with him at Colorado State. He was the offense. And it looked like he didn't belong at Colorado State, you know, um, which is what you want from small school guys. You want them to pop and you know, every time they get the big stage, they get a chance to prove that they belong. Um, and he's, he's someone who I think has a great route tree and a really strong ability to run the routes. Um, he had over 100 snaps out of the slot last year um, compared to 600 plus uh, snaps you know, in the line, which is great just because you're starting to see so many tight ends work more out of the slot and get to the NFL and struggle at the line of scrimmage. You know, he's not someone who's, you know, an instant people mover, but he's strong as a, you know, run blocker and a pass protector. And he's got some good speed. Beat you up the seam. He's got great savvy in his route running. Um, he's someone who, you know, works the seams mostly. Um, he wins a lot downfield. He could use a bit more physicality in his game, but you know he's he's bringing a lot of success that he's had, and it's not just that he's bringing the success, but it's because of the tools he's developed and the route running techniques that he has that he's able to win as much even without being the most physical player at you know six four two fifty or two forty, just about. Um, yeah, so he's my top guy. I think that's pretty common. Um, my number two is Greg Dulcich out of UCLA. Um, someone who's a really good route runner and has a lot of speed. Um, he's a bit unique out of tight ends just because of um, you know the ability that he had to run such you know deep patterns. He averaged over 17 yards per catch 
uh, last year. And the year before, he averaged 19.9 yards per catch. You know, they're sending him deep early and often. And in each of those years, uh, he had over 500 yards. He had over 700 this year and 517 the previous year with five touchdowns each. He's a natural receiver. One of the things that's most interesting with him is the ways that he gets off of the line of scrimmage. You know, again, he played uh, 477 in line and just shy of 100 in the slot. But even in line, he does a great job of avoiding defensive ends who are trying to bump him off of his routes. Um, He's got the speed to play. He just needs a little bit more muscle if you want to play him in line full time. Um, But he's someone especially like if you look at the ways that they used him, um, the map of the way that his routes run, it almost looks like a little bit of a pitchfork four pieces just kind of heading straight on down and you know then a bunch of uh spots in the middle but he's someone that i think is going to pop as a receiver and take a little bit of time to adjust to what it takes to be a tight end in the rest of the way um so those two are my top two and number three i have jeremy rucker who's a lot more well-rounded than the other two. He's a very good blocker already in the college game. In addition to the fact that uh, he's able to work as a receiver, he spends a lot of time, you know, doing some pass blocking and playing all the dirty parts in an Ohio state offense, you know, that had, you know, three first round receivers playing uh, only two get drafted this year. So he didn't really get as much action as the other two, but when he did, um, you know, he really showed up well, and I think he's someone who we could see taking a bigger role than he had in college when he gets to the pros. Sorry about that. When he gets to the pros, you know, just in case you cut that out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this dude is juiced up, 6'6", 250. He can already, you know, do well in the run game. Um, he was a bit of an afterthought with the ways that they had him uh, used. I think he was really underutilized, though. And, you know, he's strong with the ball in his hands. He's someone that, come red zone, plays well, and that's mostly where they used him. Uh, There's already going to be a plus blocker uh, at your tight end spot, which is rare coming out of college. Number four, I got Isaiah Likely out of Coastal Carolina. Go Charlotteers or whatever. Um, And this is someone who some people are going to hate the comp, you know, just because they're so mad. But he reminds me a lot of Evan Ingram coming up. Small school guy, unlike Evan Ingram. But he's got that. Can he catch the ball? Because I think that's important. Why? Just because, you know, he plays a position where you have to catch the ball? Yeah, yeah that Sean. Yeah. If you're into that, you know, we could talk about it. He has a drop rate of 1.7. Evan Ekram's yeah, drop rate last year was almost 10%. That's great. Yeah. So we have some. Must have been a career high for him. The, uh, I can't <laughs> imagine the other years had to be up somewhere near the 20s. Yeah, career high for him and a career low for the rest of us. There you um, go. <laughs> he's a really good receiver. He's someone that I think is going to spend most of his time in the slot. He's very good in the few routes that he runs. Um, he doesn't have a huge tree yet, but he has good deep speed. He's really good as a route runner. Um, 
when he's going up to the defenders who are about to put their hands on him, he does a great job of um, not starting to lean towards the side that you're going to be running to. Um, you know, he just makes quick cuts, gets the ball and heads up. And he's got, he doesn't have beat your cornerback speed, but your linebackers aren't going to be catching. Wouldn't be likely. Ha ha. Um, and I think he's got, you know, just all the sorts of things that you would want in a guy that, you know, in the third or fourth round, you're going to be playing him mostly in the slot as one of those guys. I think he's got a good chance to, um, you know, give you a little bit of the juice there. And my fifth tight end here is a guy by the name Jelani Woods out of Virginia. Um, huge guy. You know, we're talking six, seven here. Um, and Woods is someone who just uh, exploded when we got to some of the testing numbers here. Uh, crushed the combine, did what you wanted. At six foot seven, uh, 270, he ran uh, four, uh, 4.61 in the 40. I know we don't care about these numbers all that much, but, you know, being able to move like that at that size is impressive for anybody. He's also, you know, just got big arms. He's going to be a great uh, threat down the seams, as well as at his size, being able to block though he needs to improve on his technique a lot of doing that. Um, I think he's got a lot of tools that many players don't have. And most importantly, last year he wore number zero, which is awesome. Uh, but <laughs> most importantly to Sean, which is going to make him say, oh, never mind on that, on that, is his drop rate as a career is about 10%. So you're going to get what you get with him uh, in terms of that. But there's a lot of tools here. You just got to be able to make him stop catching with his body. Listen, I, I am fine with it being an issue coming out of college where hopefully it gets better, not where you get progressively worse every season when you're in the league. It's Jacksonville's problem. Let it go. <laughs> I know. Enjoy him. For $9 million. $9 million. That's one per percent of drops. Wow. I wish we could all get paid for sucking at our jobs. Ah, weathermen do it. <laughs> Maybe that was his comp. Maybe that's what his agent used. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> comp is Shaquille O'Neal at the free throw line. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Trevor Lawrence is going to be hanging his head a lot down there. <laughs> yeah, I know, ah, right? Poor... Sunshine. All right, Tom, any of these on? guys stand out mostly to you? I mean, the six seven guy who used to be a quarterback in high school, obviously. Yeah, um, <laughs> absolutely. That's all I have to say. I mean, I think he could – I know you have him ranked five, and I'm sure there's good reason to. He's also a graduate uh, student, so he's probably much older than the rest of these guys. But yeah, he'll, be, he'll be 24 for the start of the season. You're not going to miss him. I'll tell you that. And I, I also oh. – <laughs> I like uh, I like the guy out of UCLA. I watched him a little bit this year, and their offense kind of revolved around both their tight ends, from what I remember. Um, yeah. And and he was he was more of the speed catch guy, and and he was a lot of fun to watch. So I I see him as kind of a Mike Gesicki kind of guy. Oh, I like nice. It. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and that's uh, every year you expect, aside from Kyle Pitts, you expect these tight ends in college to do a bunch of things, and then just like Gusecki, year three, they start to pop, and uh, I expect that out of the kid from UCLA. 
Yeah, tight end is one of the hardest positions to go straight to the pros with. There's so much you have to learn just in terms of you know, becoming a professional tight end, which usually means about 10 pounds added onto your frame and finally learning how to block before we can put you in. Because yep. if you don't know how to do that, you either need to play in the slot where we already have people to play in the slot and hired them for that, or... We've got to find some other spot for you because if you're just a receiver who's going to be in line, you know, we're already telling the defense what we're going to do. Yeah. It's a tough spot. That's why, you know, talents like Hawkinson are so rare and Kyle Pitts as well. You know, it's tough to go straight from college to being asked to do so much more. It's one of the more difficult projections as well as difficult spots to, you know, go to there. No doubt. You want to move on to some, I think we have offensive line next. Oh, we got we... offensive tackle to start. Oh, we're yeah. going tackle is... only. Okay. Yeah, and this is a pretty good class. And just uh, for a couple of the positions upcoming as well, um, defensive tackle, defensive end, linebacker, some of these pieces. Um, the way I slotted guys this year isn't based uh, necessarily on where I think they'll play, but where they did play last year. Because I've gotten a little – you know, uh, before I've tried to project pieces like that, and I just I don't think it's worthwhile. So I uh, went through pro football focus and aligned them with where they played the most snaps, um, you know, in this last season. And that's where I've got the guy slotted. So uh, top three tackles are kind of in the class by themselves. All three of them are in my top ten. Um, number one is Evan Neal. Uh, he is an animal. Um, Jordan Mailata but, you know, with refinement and far more many years playing football. He's 6'7", 350, and moves like a much smaller man. Um, he's just great in uh, moving defenders in the run game. Uh, he's been playing right guard two years ago, uh, right or left guard two years ago, right tackle last year, and then left tackle this year. So even at, you know, his height of 6'7", he's still been able to play on the interior and offers a lot of um, versatility that way. He's someone who doesn't get out physical. He's someone who's explosive out of his stamp and or snap. And he's someone who's going to give you versatility across the line. Now, with his size and weight, um, he can get a little bit over the toes. Um and he doesn't pass on stunts as well as you'd like to see, but he's got, you know, unique physicality at the position, unique size. His balance could get moved a little bit better, but, you know, this is an athletic freak who's been a three-year starter at Alabama and, you know, has played very, very well as well. Um, you know, so if you can improve some balance, which is something that we see players improve on as they, you know, spend more time in the league. We've got someone who's explosive with a unique frame and unique strength. You know, at that kind of size, that to me, you know, you're tackle one. You know, despite the fact that you could even come in and, you know, play guard if needed as well. Uh, and number two, I've got Charles Cross, um, who's a bit more of a, you know, light in the ass tackle, and he'll need to put on a couple pounds. But his movement, uh, especially in pass blocking, is already elite. You know, he's got great ability at mirroring the defensive players. Um, it is something of a quick hit offense that he was in. But despite that, he has 
900 snaps with over 700 pass blocking snaps last year. And he allowed uh, two sacks and 14 hurries over over 700 snaps, which is remarkable. That's incredible. His movement is, you know, unique. He has great length. He's coming at 6'5", but, you know, he's really at like 305, 307 pounds, I think he's been listed at. Um, so you need to add a little bit there just to be able to work through the bull rush. One of the things that I think is so unique about him is the way that he's able to, uh, you know, direct defensive linemen with their body. Um, you know, so just letting them run themselves out of plays. Um he makes those little adjustments that force a defensive lineman's explosion to take them past the quarterback. Um, and so just being able to use that momentum, I think is awesome. The dude could play, you know, Chopin with his feet if he needed to, like his footwork is as good as it gets. Um, but he needs, he needs to add a little bit of strength. And I think that might be the easiest thing to add. And the other thing I'll say is especially um, in the run game, something he needs to improve on is he does too much big, long, uh, you know, locking back and then launching, throwing his arms back to come through, um, where he could just take them from where they are and save that extra half second and hit them with just as much force. And that's something of a technique thing that will need to be cleaned up a little bit. But he already has the length, the mirroring ability, um, all those pieces that you want to see. And, you know, very good athlete. And you're going to get someone who's already coming in as a very strong pass protector, you know, with some, you know, aggression and um, all the other tools that you want and can develop um, for the run game. Again, some of that comes from playing in a Mike Leach offense. You're not going to do a whole ton of run blocking. Um, and then my Tyler third boy. That, that's my guy. Don't say anything bad about Mike oh. Leach. Oh. <laughs> I was like, Charles Cross? <laughs> I'll tell you what, the Egg Bowl has become the most interesting bowl game out of all of them. I mean, that's the best. Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach, oh, I could, I'd literally watch it every week. Uh, my, num- my number three tackle is the Kamaquanu out of NC State. Go Pack. Um, yeah, he's he is exactly what everyone wants their offensive lineman to be. Like, he is the biggest bully on the field every time. Like all the cliches, last leader, you know, whatever else, like he just messes people up. Like he, he makes defenders just look pathetic. It's incredible. Um, his technique in the run game is great. His power is amazing. Um, and he has pretty good arms are definitely on the longer side. He's very set on playing uh, left tackle, though he did spend a little bit of time in 2020 at left guard. He's almost exclusively played left tackle. Um, And with that, he never really took what we would call vertical sets as a left tackle, just angle sets in the way he came out. So he's going to have to, you know, learn a new technique when it comes to pass protecting. Um, And that's going to be one of the things that, you know, you have to improve. He doesn't have great feet and pass protection. And if you watch the Miami game last year, or if you watch the Miami game this year, uh, you see him needing to lunge a lot to push people past. Now, again, with all of these, 
we have players who are going to be able to develop these pieces and grow. But, you know, you're asking where is it that we need, you know, you got to give you the bad with the good if I'm going to tell you about what the player is. And I don't mean to, you know, speak poorly about him. Like you said, you got top 10 guys here with all three of them, but, um, you know, none of them are finished products. And I don't think anyone coming into the league right now is. And if Aquanu gets his pass sets right, if he can work on that mirroring skill and get a little bit lighter on his feet, even if it costs him a little bit of power in the run game, he's going to be a really good player. And whatever team gets him is going to absolutely love this guy. He is just, he is such a, you know, fantastic energy, you know, player to have because every snap you're watching him play, you know, just past the whistle and absolutely bury somebody on the second level. It's awesome. He's got the most fun film out of any tackle the top three tom what are your thoughts any questions any any concerns you think your your jets might be in on one of these guys before we get to his mock later on i i mean i think neil will be gone for the jets but i i do like the guy cross and i also like linderbaum out of iowa uh, a little bit smaller of a guy. I think that Frenchie, if you were to if you were to talk him up, you'd say that he needs to put a little more weight on. That'd be my first guess. Uh, well, if you're using Linderbaum as a pure center, which I think is yeah. what you have to do, take him. Um, and again, I've got the interior guys on a separate list, and Linderbaum's at the top of that one. Um, I'm just looking I, at online line in general. Yeah, I'm not sure if he necessarily needs to. I mean. He, he seems a little bit small, but he's been able to play with that kind of power, maybe 10 pounds. But, you know, Jason Kelsey has been playing center at how long, you know, for how long, you know, hovering right around 300 pounds. You know, he can come in and get the freshman 15 in the NFL and he'd be perfectly fine. Um, but I think especially if you're going to be able to use him in his own system, a la Mike LaFleur, then Linderbaum, the way he is, he's got tons of mobility and he already has a lot of strength. Now, you got to make sure he's going to be on point with the technique when Aaron Donald or others are going to be able to come through. But we wouldn't expect any rookie to be able to handle that kind of power. Yeah. I knew you were going to go those those first three, Frenchie. I just didn't know what order. I was fascinated to see which way you went. Was Cross's domination in the pass game the thing that really put him over the edge over Iquanu? Because all those intangibles and all of those things that that Iquanu does sounded like he was a great reason for two. Um, but it sounds like maybe Cross's domination in the pass game when obviously the offense is so much more catered to the passing game now might have put him ahead or was there something else or am I just I, reading too much into it? No, I mean, that obviously helps because you're putting a priority on different things. I need to make a list like this. It's impossible not to. You know, there's a reason that we haven't gone through my t- punters at the top of this you know (laughs) we're picking and choosing what skills matter most and i think pass protection in this league matters a bit more but it's also um what skills are easier to pick up and what's more likely to be able to change i think it's you know easier for charles cross to improve in his run game by adding some strength in the nfl than it is for equan to you know work on his mirror technique you know and speed up his feet and do those sorts of things while also trying to learn how to take true vertical pass sets instead of just angling out and pushing the guy off. So I just think it's, you know, a mix of, you know, 
how much talent do they have? How high can they go? And how much work and improvement would we need to see to get them there? And I think it's fun who just needs a bit more work, but he has so many great things, you know, already working for him. Like I said, you know, I know he's a lot of people's number one tackle, and I think an argument can be made for any of these three guys to be number one. You know, the talk is in the NFL, Charles Cross is higher than the boards of you know, Daniel Jeremiah and Todd McShay and the others. And again, part of that is because we're basing them on who do we think is the better player and teams are basing them on who fits what we need. You know, so there's always going to be those kinds of disconnections there. I think any of the guys, you know, you could uh, make a reasonable argument that any of them are number one. But it reminds me so much of two years ago when we had Thomas, Wirfs, Wills, and Becton. We're just like, yeah. yeah, any of these guys could be the first. Any of these guys could be the fourth. Like it's, it's definitely interesting um, to see which team would prioritize what or how they look at, you know, the possible uh, progressions and improvements for these guys. Once they get them in their room, um, how about you give us four and five here for the offensive tackles? Yeah, we'll work through these pretty quick. At four, I've got Trevor Penning out of Northern Iowa, who actually, you know, seems a lot like his former teammate and Spencer Brown. Um, now, Penning has uh, one big flaw that I'd like to get out of the way pretty quickly, uh, and that is penalties. Um, I think he had 16 of them last year, which is uh, not not what you want. No, 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 it's not what you want. Um, but he's much like Aquanu, has that absolute bending mentality. Like he did play at Northern uh, Northern Iowa. So we're looking at a guy again out of a small school, but you see the absolute domination like you'd want to see out of a player like that. Um, he's huge, you know, six foot seven, all that sort of stuff, physicality, all the things you want. He gets a little bit lost in space. Um, but he wins with power, pure power. And if he can work on, you know, getting improved leverage, then he'll really be able to use his frame and his strengths in the sorts of ways you know, that we want him to. Um, but he's got a lot of, you know, tools already there. And you know, I've got him, you know, mid late first round. Um, and my third is, or rather my fifth is Bernard Ryman. Um, who's, a player from Austria originally came over to be a tight end and turned into um, offensive tackle. So apologies if I'm messing up the name. Um, How dare you? I know. Terrible. <laughs> He's someone who, you know, coming as a tight end originally, you're going to see someone who's really light on their feet and um, nimble. He's really good in recovery that you'd rather him not need to recover. Uh, lots of smoothness. Has you know the constant stick onto defenders is not letting people get away very much, um, and you know he's built you know reasonably well. He needs to get more you know strength on the body, but who doesn't? Um, and he's got pretty strong power already. Another one who I think whereas Penning would be more in a power gap type scheme. We're looking um, at someone like Ryman here is again that Shanahan movement style, um, where if you add a little bit of strength onto him i think he could be really good um in that and he's more we're talking second round for um Ryman. so you know there are some other guys tyler smith out of tulsa um and darian Kennard, who a lot of people are projecting more towards the interior but those guys i think have played you know very well though you know smith needs to also hone it you know pull back on the tackles a little bit 
Tom, any questions on those guys before he goes into the uh, the more the interior lineman? No, it's that guy Ryanman or whatever is like fifty years old. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> he had to uh, he had to do his uh, mandatory military service. Thank you for your service, um, even though it wasn't in the U.S. Yeah, well, I think we got a lot of people serving for a lot of places we're thankful for at this point. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, Facts. <laughs> but yeah, part of that is you know he he's 24. Um, by the I think he's at the September birthday, so he'll be 25. Um, you know, at the start of next season. So even though we are talking about a player that needs some growth, you know, we're also talking about a grown ass man. Um, well said. Again, yeah, here we are. Uh, on the interior, again, already said it, start with Tyler Linderbaum. Um, ought to be the highest drafted tackle. He's a hell of a player. He's been nitpicked a bit more through this process. Um, but I do think he does have a fit, and it's that um, movement zone sort of scheme. You want him at when he's at his best, it's going to be when he's able to um, move and take angles on his fenders instead of just going straight excuse me, straight up under them. I do think he can fit any of them, but that's just, you know, where he'd be at at his best. Um, I also think that he's someone who has shown that he can be great in screens. Um, he does a great job of identifying where linebackers are flowing to and being able to take them out to open up gaps there. Um, I, I think he's someone who's, you know, going to get a second, third, fourth contract. Um, you know, he, he's great. He's steady. He's what you want. And as light as he is at, you know, 292, he's still able to play with a ton of strength on that frame uh, and really good leverage. After him, I have Zion Johnson out of Boston College. Um, he's another, you know, kind of a draft darling for a lot of people, but much of that has to do with the fact that um, he went to the Senior Bowl and just laid it on everybody. And sometimes with these players who play at schools we don't watch very often at Boston College, uh, or who play in other divisions, it's great to see them at the Senior Bowl to, uh, you know, get the views of them against, you know, the sorts of players that we're expecting them to go against later on. Uh, Zion Johnson, good move, good strength, very good in pass protection, uh, and is someone who, you know, spent uh, a year playing left tackle and a year playing left guard. But his year at uh, excuse me, his year at guard, I think, was just so much better that we're gonna, you know, be looking at him staying at that position. Um, but again, very good strength, very good player, um, and a great frame, good width to him. You know, he also blew up at the combine. His dash was average, but his twenty-yard shuttle, broad jump, three cone. You know, you're seeing agility and explosiveness. I think he's a pretty safe bet in this league. And you don't get a ton of those on the offensive line. Um, Tape matches the explosion that you saw there, you know, first round pick a guard. And then the last uh, guard kind of in this higher tier is Kenyon Green out of Texas A&M. He's one of the top players coming out of college, excuse me, out of high school uh, when he came out. Uh, and I think he's played very well, you know, shown why he was so highly regarded and, you know, when he went to Texas A&M, uh, he has a lot of versatility. He's played, you know, snaps this past year alone. He had 80 snaps at left tackle, 400 left guard, 100 right guard, and 140 at right tackle. 
So you get a player who can do a lot of things with him and a lot of explosion. He just pops off the snap of the ball. Um, and that's where he wins. If you can, whoever has the quicker way to win often wins in this league. Now he needs to work on his hands. He needs to stop hugging and do better at punching on the inside, but he's able to, you know, just move people around with it. Um, He's pretty good in mirroring. Definitely should be on the interior, though. He's um, though he's played on the tackles. He doesn't have that quickness out of um, you know off the snap to go vertical the way that you would want for someone who would be playing tackle. But he's got a lot of strength um, and is the kind of player that you would run you know fourth and one behind. And that's really what I think a lot of people are looking for in guards is. You know, who can I count on? A lot of times, this is going into a bit of a rant, so excuse me. But most of what we do when we talk about best player available, uh, what I really think that we mean is, you know, most valuable player on the board. You know, Um, and value, I think, is a better way of phrasing the ways that we're looking at our rankings. We're not ranking who's the best player. Matareza might have that. Um, we're looking at who's the most valuable. This is why quarterbacks, you know, get graded on curve. This is why Tyler Linderbaum, who's, you know, if we're just talking, how good are you at what you do as a top 10 player? Um, you know, but a lot of these interior guys, we're trying to figure out how dependable are you and where we can use you. And, you know, how much is that worth compared to what I would now term as the big five positions, receiver, tackle, quarterback, corner, and edge. It's a lot right there, but it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> uh, it certainly does, and you see all the time when particularly teams need that fourth and one, especially in the new age of analytics, right, Tom? Teams are going for it, and if they don't have that guy who's just going to maul and, and, and push 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 that defensive line backwards, you're falling up short way too many times. And if you can get the versatility, especially that Green possesses, holy shit. Yeah, no doubt about it. He's a good player. Uh, I I think he's someone that we could honestly get more out of in the NFL than we did at college. Just there's so much there. We saw it with Andrew Thomas, too. Like, a a lot of these guys are able to win purely on strength. But once you get the hands figured out, um, you know, you just develop so much more. And, you know, that strength is so much more useful, you know, because you're able to actually hit your target with it. So. If you can work on his hands and get some of that stuff figured out, Green's going to be a really solid player. Um, so at number four for the interior guys, I have Dylan Parham. Uh, freshman year, 800 tackles – or, sorry, 800 snaps left guard. Uh, right tackle his second year, uh, 849. And right guard, 881. Right guard, left guard, let's keep him inside. Uh, he was originally a linebacker, I think. Yeah, he's a linebacker as well as a tight end in high school. Um, also, he was a sprinter in high school. Gotcha, so, yeah, we have a lot of uh, extra pieces here. Just some great speed. He's a little light. You know, a switch to center wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if he's going to stay at that weight. But he has great movement, pretty good strength. You know, a lot of ways that you can develop what he's got. Um, but, again, just get a little bit more oomph in him. Um, Whether or not he can start year one, I think is pretty debatable, especially if he's not got that time to add strength. 
but he's very quick, which helps a lot in pass protection. Um, and is the one, if you get him into the right system that fits him, something where he's going to be moving side to side, um, you know, that's someone that you can get some good value of, especially, again, the easiest thing for players to get is stronger. Um, you just kind of have to wonder how much, you know, his frame you can add to. But, you know, 6'3", 310 is um, perfectly fine. One of the things that I thought's interesting is, despite the fact that he never played any center, based on his measurables, pro football focus Compton with Weston Richburg, former Giant and Niner, who um, was a pretty good little player. I thought that was kind of an interesting comp there. Uh, and then the fifth player is Sean Ryan, oh, Sean Ryan uh, out of UCLA. Uh, again, he's Did you really just say seen? Yeah, uh, it's such a weird spelling name. I don't know how you do it. Yeah, no, it really confuses everyone. <laughs> it gets me all the time. I know. God. I meant it as a joke. I, want, I was going to let that go, but I'm like, wait a second. I can't. I can't. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, he's a good player, but another one. Just did it for the joke. Ed Ingram's my number five. Um, Sean Ryan has spent a little bit too much time at left tackle, though, again, another one that'll be moving probably inside. Ed Ingram out of LSU is someone who spent, you know, all of his time at left and right guard, which, again, you always like to see players who have been on both sides just because it's one fewer question that you have to ask. Um, but I think majority can make those switches. Um, you know, Jedrick Wills, don't make me start that rant again. But um, I think Ed Ingram is someone who is going to be, you know, a really good player, has a lot of athleticism, has some good strength and decent balance to go along with, you know, really good mentality to play with. Quick first up, um, you just, you wish that he would attack more in pass, be a little bit more patient in the run. He can get little over aggressive there um but having the experience at both left and right guard i think is huge um and kind of like isaiah spiller he does a little bit of everything even if he doesn't have a true standout trait um which again isn't necessarily a terrible thing um but one more who i think if you get you know if you can get his hands improved so you can get that pop um, to show up more because when he can win with, you know, the explosion, get those hands in, on the inside, you know, he, he's, you know, perfect for the position. Um, but you got to improve his ability to get that first contact, um, you know, because he didn't always get that in college. And if you're having some difficulty to get that in college, you're going to struggle with it. You know, once you move a little bit further, you know, you get to the NFL, it's not going to get any easier. So, um, you know, that development, I think, is what's going to really make a difference for him. It's something that we've seen happen, but um, it's not something that, you know, he just gets a pass on either. Sure. Tom, thoughts? No, I'm ready to talk defense is what I'm ready to do. Let's do it. All right. Are we starting with the big boys? Of course. All right. Perfect. Yeah, let's talk about the important stuff. All right. the, 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 the parts that just casual fans don't care about until they're yelling at the team or yelling at the TV while the running back can't create space or, you know, <laughs> well, quarterbacks I, have all day. The only one that, you know, people really want to talk about if we're talking big boys is the biggest boy of all, Jordan Davis. Um, one of my favorite pictures is Jordan Davis next to Devontae Wyatt. 
um, you know, because you're going through the measurables, and then you're like, oh, yeah, that's the small one. He's only 6'3", 320. Jordan <laughs> tackle getting great leverage at 6'6", 340. Um, and you just don't see that much. Uh, yeah. Now, he's only played about 400 snaps this season, but, um, you know, had a decent split between the pass rush and run defense. There's some good questions about whether or not he's going to, you know, be able to really pop in the pass game um, or if he's going to be more um, Vince Wilfork than John Henderson, something like that. But um, I, I think he's got some, you know, great power, obviously. His length, you know, makes him a menace. He's so strong against the run. Um, and he's honestly got some pretty good movement ability. Um, is it, you know, not chasing people down, but he's at least breaking them, you know, out of the backfield and forcing them to go to somebody else. He's got to get in better shape, though, because uh, you struggle taking a, spending a first-round pick on someone who, just because of, you know, conditioning, is only going to play half of the tackles. I was just going to say, no matter how good he is, can you actually, like, can you have vindication behind that pick if you know he's only going to be available, you know, a third of the time? Right. And, you know, he played about half the steps in college. Um, and as a pass rusher, he has a bull rush to the end. He's got great length. He's going to know how to use it. Uh, your linebackers will love this pick, whoever gets them. Your run defense just got better. And all the work that your linebackers have to do, that load got lightened. Because this guy at 6'6", 340, with the kind of strength he plays with, it, that's a tough ask for anybody right now. Um, and I, again, it's another one where he's going in there. He will be immediately be a run stuffer and someone who takes up space and starts pushing linemen backwards. But, um, you know, his ceiling is going to be based on how much he can develop beyond what he already has in terms of the run game. So that's my thoughts with, uh, Jordan Davis, uh, you know, great bulldog champion, blah, blah, all those wonderful things. Um, luckily, the second one, uh, Devontae Wyatt, Georgia, Bulldog, great guy, blah, blah, same sort of thing. <laughs> uh, he's the small defensive lineman from Georgia. He's only 6'3". I mean, what are you even doing like that? How, how, how do you win anything at 6'3"? God, it's only. Um, <laughs> True. Totally him at a Davis and Walker, he's, he's pretty short, two inches shorter. Yeah, I mean, he's downright tiny. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> he's got a great first step. Uh, and he's someone who can, you know, he's not turning a corner, but he does a really good job at splitting the guards and being able to make those quick bends um, towards the quarterback and towards the <clears throat> running back, excuse me. He's someone who wins mostly with that quickness. You know, um, if he could get a power move and just improve on some of that sort of athleticism and the explosiveness, um, then I think he'll be able to make more of an all-around impact. But he's kind of the opposite of Jordan Davis. If the two of them you know, could flip their skill sets, or honestly, if the two of them could combine, you know, we'd have the best player in the league. Um, you know, but Wyatt can get taken out with some strength. He's got more all-around skills, but what Jordan Davis does, he does at an elite level. Um, and so that's the only reason I have Davis above that, as well as just kind of, you know, the it's like uh, George Young had the planet rule. There are only so many people on the planet like that. You know, there's only one George Davis, 
in any right. of this. But I do have he and he and Wyatt are only a couple picks apart. Um, in my uh, in my sorry in my top one hundred. Um, the third, I have Cameron Thomas, often talked about as an edge, but again, he played most of his snaps on the interior. Um, you know, six five, two seventy, um, plays you know kind of all over the defensive line, holds the point well. You know, in the run game, um, and I think if you move him to the interior on passing downs, he'll still be able to make it. Though right now, um, it's about exploding and sneaking through or bull rushing again. A lot of these guys on the interior need to develop some more moves. Um, Travis Jones out of UConn, um, 6'4", 325. Uh, he's someone who pushes the pocket well and has really good hands. Um, his big problem, my personal opinion, is going to UConn. Um, God, he could, you know, any of these guys are just like, what happened if, you know, he would have been able to do things like play in 2020? But, you know, you come not so much. Um, he, hasn't, <laughs> he hasn't played a lot of, uh, like, pure nose, but he does really well in the gaps. Um, great hands, long arms, and, you know, is able to win on those things, despite the fact that he's not a very good athlete. Not I, wouldn't, I would call him less than nimble. Um, and then my last one in this group is Perrion Winfrey. Um, he's someone who is really the defensive leader um, along with a couple other players at Oklahoma. But I think a lot of it really starts with Winfrey because um, he's played zero, one, three, five. They move him all over the place um, where he got, you know, five sacks, 20 tackles. He, he pressures the whole time. Um, but he does this once again, defensive tackles, working off of traits, explosions, slitherings through in ways that they're not necessarily going to be able to win um, once they get to the league. So all three, all uh, five of these guys, you know, good athleticism in their own right, besides Jones, who has great hands and misses out on some of those traits, but um, all have things that they need to continue to develop if they want to, you know, really make it in the league. Davis and Wyatt seem like they're in the class by themselves with Davis. Obviously, we can just get his conditioning better. Yeah, like, you, you can't miss a player like that. They're the only two uh, of the group with first-round grades. Yeah. Makes sense. But let's talk about the best, by far, the best group in this class is the edge rushers. Um, I think I might have 11 with, uh, you know, rounds one and two grades. Um, wow. Including seven round ones. So Shit. if I leave your favorite off this list doesn't mean I think poorly of them. Um yeah, you know, just to point it out now, my fifth edge rusher is my 11th ranked player. So this, oh my is, God. this class is as good as you know we've seen. What the quarterbacks were last year is what the edge rushers are this year, which is um, not something you really get to have all the time. Um, started at the top, I've got Kayvon Thibodeau as my number one. You do. I do. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and again, it's not to say, again, I have him as my, I believe, my number three player, and I have Hutchinson at my number four player. Um, at the edge rusher spot, one of the things that, you know, you notice in terms of trends is that tools always tra- tools seem to translate best. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau has the best tools that we have, in addition to a lot of production. 
Um, his first step is great. He's fluid off the edge. Um, I think that a lot of what he's dealing with is what comes with being one of the guys. Um, and when you're supposed to be the guy, he's the first guy, um, you know, he's the number one player coming out of high school. He's always been the guy that we look at, but his first step is great. You know, the way he moves, he should be like 30 pounds lighter. Um, he's not as developed as Milo Garrett was coming out of college, but in terms of the athleticism and the skill set, it's very similar, though. Garrett had a little bit more bend coming off the edge. The, you know, only piece that I think he really needs to do is come up with a plan. Too often he explodes and doesn't really have a, you know, idea of what he's going to do. You know, keep building on some moves. He's got the frame. He's got the body. He has all of the athletic traits, and he's already been successful with it, coming up with nine sacks this past year um, and 10 tackles for loss to go with it. But we can still have more with talent like this. Even if he stays how he is, he's going to have, you know, a good impact. Uh, and the last thing I'll say about him is about the, uh, you know, personality concerns. And I think a lot of what he had, honestly, is pretty similar to the Miles Garrett personality concerns. The idea that these players uh, want to be more than players. And Thibodeau has talked about the fact that football is a means to things. Now, you could say football is a means to, you know, becoming a movie star or whatever else. But with Thibodeau, he's already started trying to create and invest in cryptocurrency, including starting his own. Uh, he already has a charity, an avid chess player. Um, I think that the fact that there's so much more to him can sometimes be a negative for coaches who see their whole lives, you know, built around this game and everything that you're supposed to do is, you know, complete dedication. And Thibodeau won't have the Tom Brady, Kobe Bryant obsession, you know, that we love so much. And part of that's going to be because he wants to be so involved in doing all of these things that, you know, most of which I think are pretty great. Um, one of my favorite things in watching his tape is if you watch uh, one of the games from earlier this season, there's an announcer talking about how Thibodeau never takes plays off. Uh, and then once we get into the draft season, the top thing that we hear from everybody is Thibodeau takes, you know, plays off. So um, I just did want to kind of bring those pieces up with Thibodeau because it is something that um, is talked about. And again, these are the questions that we get from the outside and teams are getting answers. So we'll see how I'm happy you brought that up, though, because that is something that I mean, Tom and I spend a lot of time on this pod, you know, trying to be very careful about how we talk about athletes and like in the new new way of, you know, are are they just more passionate about something else? But they're still great players. Can they compartmentalize what's going on socially with still, you know, putting in time to their craft. And that's, you know, that's Thibodeau true. is somebody that I really value. And I would hope that particularly getting an opportunity to talk to him would be, of course he loves this game. He wants to be great at this game, but that doesn't mean he can't after the game, go focus on his charity or, or play chess and, and maybe even use that as, you know, an analogy to himself on the field. Like all those things I think matter. And, I believe that in today's NFL, we're seeing more executives and coaches that care about that more so than the just, oh, you don't care about football, you know, 24-7, 365, then you must not love the sport. Yeah, and much like in chess, he needs to start coming up with a plan. Um, 
it, and this is something I will say too, is um, it, it was very weird at the combine when he um, said he was going to go out and do all of these things. And then he decided he wasn't, and didn't really get much of an answer for it. I really think some of that might be explaining why those questions kind of began. I know Rich Eisen has talked about them um, pretty regularly as well, but Thibodeau would, you know, we have a guy who's started charities and done all of these other things on the outside, who's also coming in with a 23.5% pass rush win rate. I mean, that's that's just about as good as it gets. And he's got all of the talent to back it up, help him come up with a plan, and, you know, let him go hit the quarterback, and then he could go home, you know, hopefully his brain's good enough to play chess. Um, yeah, so those are, uh, that's what I got to say about him. I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to how he does in the NFL. Um, hoping well for him. Uh, but my number two is, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, Aiden Hutchinson. Um, he's basically the prototype. He looks like, you know, defensive end. He looks like a Bosa or a Watt brother. He could fit in with any of those groups. Um, I think he's going to be one of the guys that you can use any system He's going to be able to play pretty much up and down the line, though I wouldn't put him, you know, dead center in it. He's got really good hands, strong length, and plays the run really well, relentless motor, and is, you know, just overall a damn good player. And, you know, whoever gets him is, you know, going to bypass some of those personality questions that we might have for other people. Um, But, is you know just an absolute baller um and one of the underrated things with him too is his conditioning he played damn near 800 snaps you know he rarely gets off the field and as a defensive lineman that doesn't happen very often in addition to having you know the agility and the multiple moves that he's going to possess um now he only reason i have Thibodeau over him is because often traits went out at this position and the explosiveness and ability and agility that he has, I think might eventually, obviously I put him ahead. So I think will win out over time. But again, I've got them ranked at three and four overall. Not bad. Yeah, not, not bad. I, you know, I think one of these, some of these players, you know, if they cared about me would take this as an insult, but you know, I still got you up there. Doesn't that count for anything? Probably not. Uh, number three, I've got Trayvon Walker out of Georgia. And if we're talking about, you know, traits winning out, um, these are as good a traits as we're going to see on the defensive lineman. Um, and he's someone who, again, has played up and down the line, which I think is a good attribute to have, though the majority of his snaps did take place outside of the tackle. Played about 600 snaps, which, again, that's pretty good um, comparatively. And we also have to remember Georgia blew people out. So there's that as well. Um, part of why he might not have popped on the scene as much as some of the other uh, people were talking about is the fact that in the defense he played, he wasn't the primary guy. And the Kobe Dean blasting through and Quay Walker and you know, all of these other individuals, um, you know, Walker wasn't asked to do the glamour positions. He just you know, kept his head down and um, you know, made everybody else's job easier. But he he pops athletically, you know, his numbers test off the charts, you know, go down them all. He's also 6'5", 270, running a 4'5", 1". Um, he's got long arms, big hands, 
and explosion through it. He's got some development to do, um, much like Thibodeau. Walker's wins are about athleticism more than it is, you know, pass rush moves. If you can get, you know, two moves, if you have a swim and a swipe, um, you know, just a couple pieces like that, he's got the talent where he could do just about anything. Uh, number four, I've got Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State, who is actually a transfer from Georgia. Um, and it's a good thing he did because he didn't have very much of a role he may have this year, but, um, you know, he had a much bigger role at Florida State, and he absolutely shined during it. He's someone who gives you constant effort. He is the heart and soul of that defense. Tons of effort, tons of energy. And if you're talking, you know, power to speed, and what we really want to see coming out of that power to speed is how well you can bend the edge. <clears throat> It's kind of like NASCAR, the way you have to make that little tilt and, uh, you know, slither on past. He's got great flexibility there. He's another one who played that, you know, a ton of snaps. He played over 700 snaps, over 61 a game last year, um, which is really good for defensive linemen like him. He's someone who I think could be 3-4 or 4-3, um, pure edge, really good at setting the edge in the run. And he wins with leverage, speed, and, um, you know, being able to break people down the corner. So, you know, you're going to have that. And just numbers-wise, this is a guy who played 61 snaps a game, came out with 14 sacks, as well as seven other quarterback hits and 25 hurries. So that's pretty damn good. Um, and his pass rush win rate is still about 75% of, you know, college football um, down at 14%, which is also, you know, very good, even if it's not the elite spot that Thibodeau is. And my number five is a player whom I uh, I love. Another one, just his tape is so much fun. Uh, George Karloftis um, from Greece. Personally, a water polo player. And don't get Hell to, yeah. I, I really get to bring that up with people. Hey, it's like water polo. Um, he reminds me so much of Trey Hendrickson someone we just saw have a ton of success up in Cincinnati. It's a bit of a one-trick pony with his rush, but he's got just outstanding power at 6'4", 266. Um, his frame, he's got you know a bit shorter arms. His power, though, is just spectacular for what he's got. Um, sometimes he can struggle to get hands off him. Again, um, you know his length isn't ideal but he's got just constant energy. He might have the best motor in the draft. He's someone who can play, you know, three, five, seven, you know, maybe not enough speed to go nine, but um, if he could add something to that bull rush, I think he'd really come up. But again, his pass rush win rate was even higher than Thibodeau's 25.4%. Um, you know, it's right up there. He's been the best in college football, but I don't want to say that with certainty. It's just his projection is very easy because when someone can play with grown-ass manpower like that, especially with it coming from the lower half, um, you know, so we're just talking explosion of power. That's the sort of thing that's going to be able to win. Um, and so he's my 11th ranked player and my number five edge rusher. 
Tom, what did you think of the way he ranked those top five? And was there anybody that you were a little surprised he didn't have in there? No, uh, his his top five was pretty chalky there, aside from flipping Thibodeau with Hutchinson. But again, Richie, yep. you said one was ranked three, one was ranked four, I believe, in your rankings. So, yep. you know, it's it's just a matter of who you like better as a team. The only guy I will ask about is another guy that was talked about a ton just because he went to Michigan was David, whatever the hell is, how do you pronounce his last name? Ojabo. Ojabo. Yeah. Where do you uh, see him going? Shane. How you feel about him? So, <laughs> born in Nigeria, moved to Scotland. Um, just fun stuff to talk about. Uh, dude used to play uh, run track in high school. He's got a sub-11 second 100-meter dash, which is pretty cool. Um, and he's a great speed rusher. He honestly had some chatter about you know working his way into the top 10, top 15. Problem is, tours Achilles at the pro day. Yeah. So... That's especially for a player who makes their money on explosion. That's really going to, you know, bring him down. It's, it's very tough to figure out with that. Now, the more we see players succeeding after those things, the better you know, we can feel about it. Uh, I still, I still have him going, you know, top of the second round, late first round. I don't know if he'll be able to sneak into the first round. He might, though, uh, for teams willing to, you know, wait on somebody like that. But before he got injured, he was probably a top 15 pick. So just a shame. Yeah. To have it happen at the pro day, too. That sucks. I still yeah, do think some all team's going to get a steal with him. I, yeah, I definitely think that's that's going to be the case. Injuries often scare teams away, and then I'll, you know somebody scoops it up willing to wait a year, and you get a great player out of it. Um, you know, and it, I definitely think that could happen with Ajabo. It's just bringing back that explosion. I talked about it with James Williams. It's just waiting to see how that goes for, um, you know, wide receivers with an ACL is a little bit easier to project than speed rushing defensive ends with an Achilles. Yeah. But a, a team at the top of the second, maybe one with four picks, between picks four and 36. Might get a steal by taking the flyer on him. Mm. Who knows? All right, Frenchie, let's get into let's get into linebackers. We're just going to lump all of them together due to time. Um, so why don't you why don't you run through your your top five and, and give us your your thoughts on all of them? Right, I just want to point out, Tom, you can be proud of me because there are no Alabama players. Here. Um, number one, I got Devin Lloyd out of Utah. Um, he's someone who I think is just made for you know the game as it is now uh at pro football focuses grading and i know we you know all love them in different regards um lloyd had uh been graded at over uh 88 for coverage run stopping and uh pass rush he's someone who does a little bit of everything and he's just there really are no holes in his games he's played a little bit um, all over the place. I wouldn't put him purely in the slot or anything like that, but um, he's someone who is just involved everywhere. He's what you want. And he moves like a linebacker, you know, much smaller than 6'3", 240. He is, if he has a flaw, and he does, um, it's that his tackling isn't just pure wrap-up or take-him-out tackling. 
Um, he's a bit more of a dive drag down, more about, you know, wrapping up and sliding over, um, as well as someone who I think, you know, doesn't always seem to be the elite athlete that, you know, we know him to be, but I still have him in my top 15. I mean, he's a damn good player. Um, there really isn't a hole in his game. It's just the fact that he can be a better tackler than he is. And his career miss rate on tackles is about 12%, which, you know, you'd really expect more out of a, you know, top tier linebacker. And, um, you know, hopefully he'll be able to keep adapting and developing like that. Cause he has been improving every year as well, which is, you know, what you want to see. Uh, at number two, I have Nicobe Dean, who I also love. I've got both of them graded one after the other. Um, and Dean is very similar, um, but he doesn't have as great of a skill set in the run game as Lloyd does. But he brings a lot, um, a lot of energy. Part of the reason that he struggles in the run game is just his lack of length. Um, he's 5'11", plays, you know, probably 220, 230. And his biggest issue is, you know, in the run game, being able to slow down. Um, you know, opposing linemen, tight ends and like, because he just can't get off of blocks. He doesn't disengage from their blocks very well. Um, and because of that, you know, he's not going to be the you know, top guy there, but he's got great speed when he plays. Um, he's really good in pass rush. He shoots the gaps so well that open up, um, you know, when you watch the defense, how many players have we talked about today? Um, you know, being able to create some space for him to get through. And he just, he bursts. He's got such great explosion. Everything you'd want from a speed size uh, or speed, you know, piece of things, it's the size that you have to, um, you know, work around and find ways for him to be involved uh, where teams aren't going to be able to just run at him uh, and wipe him out of the play to open up space. Not everyone is going to, you know, like him. Patrick Queen was another one like that, but Bobby Wagner's played the game of 5'11 for, you know, many, many years and might be the best linebacker of the decade. So, um, Nicobe Dean to me, Frenchie, just real fast, is like, yeah. he is my classic. You're trying too hard to not put him where he deserves player because you can't watch a Georgia game, Georgia tape. I assume that you've studied with all these prospects. He, he's in on every single play on defense awesome. and he's, yep. he's, he just like, he, like you're in awe of him watching because you can't imagine that he's doing what somebody at his size is doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I've got him in my top 15. I think the league is going to, you know, undervalue him just because that seems to be the talk of it all. Um, you know, and unfortunately all I can go on is, you know, some of the rumors and things that come out, but as Tom said, two days before the draft, everything's going to change. Um, and hopefully it does for him because he's a hell of a player. You know, as we talk later about teams trading back, he's someone that um, if the Giants do decide to trade back, I think would be absolutely perfect for um, him playing in Wick Martindale's scheme. We've already seen Patrick Queen integrate themselves in varying levels of it, but you know, we've worked with players at that position smaller stature and Dean is just absolutely electric. Um, you know, if, if he had a better answer for getting off blocks and, um, you know, being able to affect the run game and not get taken out as easily, I, I think listen, with another three inches and being able to do that, Dean would be, you know, top 10, top five. We'd be, 
it would be Devin White. Um, mm-hmm. but just because of his size and, you know, the aspect of that in the running game, um, you know, he's going to drop a little bit. But the way he plays, the way he works, like, I, I think he's going to have a great career. Move uh, on down the line. Yeah, after him, I've got Chad Mama out of Wyoming. Um, great athleticism. Really good. He's He's got such good awareness um, when he drops into zone, and he's got enough speed to keep up linebackers and tight ends. It's really good in pass coverage, but he's also coming through at six foot three and just coming through with tons of power. Um, much lower career miss tackle rate than a lot of other players. Um, I think his career miss is about 8%, which again, Sometimes we hear these numbers and think it's high, but that's definitely on the lower end of things um, for that. Very involved in the run game as well, despite the fact that he's um, really good in pass coverage as well, lower competition, all those sorts of things. Um, but he does a really good job of staying square to the line of scrimmage, not overrunning, um, and just Tons of speed and athleticism, exactly what you'd want. He didn't have a ton of experience rushing the passer, rushing the passer, but that's because he has the kind of range that you utilize, um, you know, in coverage as a linebacker. And I think defenses today need it. And you know, if a team wants that kind of explosion, is going to be able to show up in the passing game as well. You know, you just have to be able to get it there. Uh, my number four is Quay Walker, out of. You guessed it, Georgia. Um, but don't worry, I only have two Georgia linebackers in my top five. You'll have to wait till six to get to my third. Um, Quay Walker is number seven to Nicobe Dean's number 17. Um, originally, the first time I was trying to specifically watch Dean, I got myself confused and ended up watching Quay Walker. I was like, oh, he doesn't so small, but he's still so damn good. Um, <laughs> Walker comes in 6'4", 240. And is much more of the, um, you know, coverage pass rusher sort of aspects there. Really good tackler, great movement, very smooth. <clears throat> uh, his tape in Ar- against Arkansas was great. Um, he had a really great uh, breakup against Trey Burks. Um, so that's just kind of cool if you're going to look for player-to-player snaps. Uh, he's someone who just plays very physically. And he's really good, uh, much better in man coverage than he is in others. Plus, man coverage, I think, would allow him to either just explode and blitz or stick on tight ends because he can get pulled away. He struggles um, you know, keeping up with some of the you know, pulls and movements and play actions, um, those sorts of skills. Doesn't do as well. Um, in zone coverage, again, things that you can work on, but he brings all the physicality that you could want. Um, and he's doing that at, again, 6'4", which, you know, is pretty much what you're asking for. Uh, and my fifth linebacker is Leo Chanel out of Wisconsin. Uh, he's someone who, you know, is not Micah Parsons, but that's the sort of um, aggressive spot that he was put in. Uh, Jim Leonard at Wisconsin on that defense. Um, and all I think is just a really good, uh, player for his role. Don't ask him to, you know, do too much out of that because 
And when you do, he's not a great coverage linebacker. Um, he's not, you know, what you're expecting from some of these other guys who are, you know, you got to know what you're drafting. He is explosive through the line of scrimmage. He does a great job at reading, um, reading the tackles, reading the guards and being able to split them and make those sorts of, you know, getting skinny moves, but also he plays downhill with a ton of power and does a really good job of getting off of blocks and being able to, you know, affect the run game like that. But again, what we're talking about again is a lot of questions and, you know, not great stuff. Uh, He was targeted 21 times last year and there were 19 receptions on those 21 targets. So again, he has a very specific role. Let him win with power. Let him go downhill as much as you can. To help come third down, you know, you shouldn't be thinking about putting him in coverage. And just let him continue to go downhill. And he has a ton of explosion from it. You know, one of the most physical players that you can watch. Um, not for every team. But if he goes to a team willing to put him in the role that he should be in, you know, he's going to have a really good career. You gotta love those Big Ten linebackers, right, Tom? Yeah, once you get once you get one of those guys in there, you know they're gonna work hard and they're gonna be, what do you call them, a hog molly or something like that? That's more for an interior <laughs> lineman, but you know I think you can give a Big Ten linebacker that kind of title as well. You want to move on to some some outside guys? Uh, I put all the linebackers together. Sean's, you know, just making me do stuff. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, of I'm course. A, I'm well, a safety we... cornerback. Ah. Those outside. The outside. Well, if we're talking safety, Jim Leonard, former Jeff Great, is uh, the defensive coordinator for Wisconsin, putting Chanel in that hyper-aggressive scheme. So something good there. Um, Cornerbacks. Number one, I got Ahmad Gardner. Um, He's my number one player overall. Wow. Tom, you love him. I do. Yeah. I do. Um, He's 6'3". He plays more press coverage than anybody else in this draft, anybody else in all of college football last year. And he's great at it. Um, His technique is very strong. Um, I know there's a lot of talk about how great he'd be as a zone corner. I think he's also very well suited for man coverage. He's someone who I think you can put on the island. Um, You know, there's a lot of Richard Sherman to him, but I think he's got more agility and more ability to work around in man coverage as well. Um, now, I'm not saying go throw him in on the slot or anything like that because, you know, he is a bit wiry at 6'3", but he's somebody who, especially if you're going to put him in, um, you know, press man, he's someone with just the athletic ability and everything that you could want to be able to, you know, make plays. He's he's strong in the tackle. He's got no fear. Um, he's not trying to just grab a guy by the shoelace and take him down. Like he's willing to fly in and make those plays. Um, he, he, I think is just everything that you would want in the corner. My number one player in the whole, uh, class right there. So sauce Gardner, uh, you already here first going to be the best player. His name's sauce too. So that's pretty sick. I mean, it's obviously a mod, but yeah. And he's, he can play bully ball. He can play finesse. Um, he has over 800 snaps in press in the last, uh, you know, since he got there. Uh, he's given up zero touchdowns in his entire career. And I think his 
the most yards he gave up in a game this year was 31. Um, just he didn't play as much zone as he did man, though I understand he's built more like a zone corner than man. Um, but I, I think he's got everything that you could be looking for. Uh, it's, are his hips the greasiest? No, but I don't think it's going to hold him back. Um, and he still came through with 4-4 speed. And, you know, that's he tested the one thing that people questioned, which was his pure speed. And there you go, top 70%. So um, I, I think he brings everything that you could want to the position. Zero touchdowns in his entire career. That's just insane. That's enough. He said, he's gonna, he said it's his goal to do the same in the NFL. Power to him. Awesome. <laughs> good luck yeah exactly good luck i would love to see it um my number two guy in the draft at corners Derek stingley um if he did what he did in 2019 for 2020 and 2021 he might be the highest rated player ever um but he did Mayakova. um now he did have some injuries this time with the leg a year ago, he missed a lot of this past season. Um, he was foot injuries. He, not a great tackler. Um, you know, I got the numbers pulled up here. Um, missed 17.9% of his career tackles. Uh, but he spent half his career in press man. He's athletic as any cornerback could be. He just he wants to be on the island and just let his athleticism take over. All of his athletic traits are just as good as it gets. Um, you know, and it it felt like one of those guys who, after his first year, was just you know, coasting a bit. Um, so he did deal with some injuries, other pieces like that, and he knew he was going to be a first-round pick, so he took the foot off the gas. Um, you know, this year he was targeted five times before he got hurt. Can I ask you a question about his tackling? Yeah. Okay. I always have to ask this when it comes to safeties and corners because I don't totally know. I'm not watching the tape. Is it an unwillingness slash lack of desire to tackle, or is it just his technique isn't all that good? Or is it maybe a combo of both? You don't have to spend too much time on it, but just from what you saw. That's fine. Um, I think it's more te- it's more technique, um, and I really think the biggest problems with his tackling – come before contact. Um, he approaches at bad angles and it looks like he's kind of breaking down, like almost as if he's waiting to see which way a receiver is going to cut. He kind of has that pause and then he starts chasing. So there are a lot of plays where, you know, it'll be a screen or something and he'll fly up and make a big hit. But when it's in open space, he really struggles to make the right approach. And I think that's where he gets burned. Okay. So, um, but again, a great athlete. He's put up some of the best tape that you could watch for the position. Um, you know, just not in the last two years. You know, if he, if he could have come out after the 2019 season, you know, it, he would have been top 10 pick. Unfortunately, you know, year was what it was. And he's had to spend the last two in college just waiting to go pro. Yep. But number three corner, I've got Trent McDuffie of Washington. Um, if you want the exact opposite, uh, Trent Duffy is a phenomenal, hyper-aggressive tackler. So good in the run game. Um, he lines up most often in press, 
but Austin doesn't press. He bails out and he starts, you know, just staying twitchy and hooked on him. He's really good in the short intermediate spots, um, you know, more so than the default. I think he'd be a really good slot corner in addition to being able to play outside. You know, he's just shy of six feet, so he's got the size that you would want as well. Um, you know, or at least he's not limited by it. Good in zone, hasn't had a ton of, you know, ball skills, but really he's someone who's going to, you know, He's someone who does his best work because you don't notice he's there. Um, you know, he takes receivers out. You know, you just got someone on his hip. Quarterback's not going to throw to him. Um, but especially coming up on screens. And the guy loves to hit. Um, and there aren't a lot of corners like that. So uh, power to whoever gets them for having somebody like that. Andrew Booth Jr. is my number four guy. Um He's someone who I think is more pure outside and more pure athlete. Um, I think, you know, it's it's something of a debate about where he's going to go. He's got all of the athletic skills for man, but it seems like his eyes work better in zone, um, which to me, I think that's a pretty good thing because you got somebody who you can use in multiple ways and um, skills we can develop in a couple different spots. Um also another one, not a great tackler, and this one might be a couple other pieces. He's also got short arms, or excuse me, he's got long arms, so you would expect that to be able to help. Um, he's someone who tested great, <clears throat> checked all of those boxes. Um, really, his feet are where it starts with him. His feet are great, um, fires out of it. He's got such suddenness, um, such quickness that I think is his biggest asset. Uh, in zone coverage, I think that it's, you know, most applicable when he makes a break on a ball. And he's very involved um, when it comes to making plays on the ball, which is what you want. Um, you know, played more zone than man, but he's got all the quickness that you could want for man. He just needs to work on the tackling. The tackling, you know, I was just talking about how rough it was for Derek Stingley at, you know, about 18%. Uh, Booth's in his tackle rate is 23.9%. So... He, he makes a tackle just about three out of every four times he has to. And that's, you know, a lot of touchdowns on, uh, you know, quick hitters that there could be from. So um, he's got a lot of quickness. Deep speed's a little questionable. Tackling, not great. But goddamn, is he quick and explosive. He's got a lot of skills um, and a lot of traits that you can develop there. And my number five guy is someone who um, I really love. Another one who's just hyper-physical, great in press, um, but also does well in zone is Kair Elam, uh, nephew of Matt Elam, former Raven, um, as well as Florida uh, safety. But uh, this Elam plays cornerback, and he's someone who I think will be able to walk in and um, you know start on the outside for teams that need that. Uh, he's got such great strength in press. He does really well. Um, when he gets the opportunity to line up body to body with a receiver, he's such a good um, and aggressive player. He's got the frame you want. He's done just about everything you could have the last season. Um, there were only 36 passes thrown at him. About half were caught. Um, so, you know, that's something he can get a little handsy and that happens a lot. He had a lot of penalties in college, but if you can, you know, work on some of those pieces with him. And I think a lot of times when players get handsy, it's, you know, confidence. 
It's because they think something's going to happen when it ne- might not happen. Um, so these are just pieces you got to work with on. Business tackle rate's about 10%, which is pretty damn good for, um, you know, a corner. We were just talking about how good it is for a res- uh, linebacker that it's only 8%. So corners at 10% is pretty damn good. Really good in press. I think he'd be um, you know, strong in zone. He doesn't have the great twitchiness. He's not going to be able to move inside. He's somebody that I think is specifically an outside corner and is at his best when you're able to, um, you know, push up on him. So, um, you know, those are my top five after that. Um, you know, Roger McCreary out of Auburn, Kyler Gordon, both of them have second round grades. Kobe Bryant is someone who stays pretty low on a lot of these boards, but I think, you know, he's already got the tools. What do you have? He had phenomenal season last year. And I think he's somebody who's, you know, quick trigger and, you know, competitive nature is still going to be able to provide a lot to whoever drafts him. I can't wait to see where you mock Stingley because he's so interesting to me. Yeah, he's going to be, there are a couple players who I think are going to kind of define the draft in terms of, you know, what we learn about how teams think, you know, um, my top player on the next list, Kyle Hamilton, safety is one of them, you know, Linderbaum is another, uh, and I think Stingley, in terms of how do we view production, you know, gaps in resumes and all those sorts of things, <clears throat> Stingley's going to be very telling. Um, you know, because there's some of these players who I think, you know, there's not much of a story for Aiden Hutchinson in terms of how that, you know, defines the way teams look at things. You know, but if Kyle Hamilton comes off in the first three picks, you know, we're, we're learning a lot about some teams and some evaluations like that. So I'm just going to move on into the safeties here. Kyle Hamilton at the top. Um, This is probably the easiest top player to pick. Uh, He's, you know, everything that you could want. I mean, honestly, I could let Tom do this part if he's ready for it. Um, No, it's your day, buddy. Go ahead. I appreciate it. His range is spectacular, and he does it at six foot four. Um, Literal. He had an interception against Florida State that is still just – mind-boggling how he got there two in the game but um god there was one he went from the opposite hash when it was thrown and he made it in time made the pick um i think that's when tom fell in full form love yeah what a play that was i remember that (laughs) it was incredible um and you have him and you have an answer for every tight end you face the end (laughs) i mean that that enough that alone is enough to make him a, you know, first round high quality pick, but the range that he has on the backsides, um, you know, that's huge. The only, you know, real problem with his size is tackling. And it's not the problem that he misses a lot of tackles because he doesn't. Um, the problem is how high he has to come in at six four. And there's, you know, targeting fouls that he's been called on because of this. He's, Six foot four, five ten receiver, you know, is coming for the ball and he's just trying to, you know, dislodge it, make a play, but the height difference is gonna, you know, play in and he can end up getting, you know, a couple flags that way. And, you know, you're nitpicking here, but how is lateral quickness and agility isn't, you know, what it is for players who are five ten. Um is change of direction is only very good. You know, it's not elite like all of his other skills seem to be. He's my number five overall player. Um, 
if teams use him right, similarly to how Derwin James gets used, where you're playing in the box, in the slot, up high. You know, he offers that kind of versatility. Um, hell of a player. You know, it, it doesn't take too much to sell him to anybody who's ever seen him play. Um, yeah, so, so that's him. He's the number one uh, safety here. I've got him, again, at five overall. Um, the rest of my safeties, I think, are late first to early second players. All right, okay. let's hear him. So who are they? All right, let's do it. Uh, Dax Hill, safety from Michigan. Uh, he's my number two. He's someone who offers versatility as well, though not you know necessarily in the box. Uh, he's super productive guy. He plays really well in the slot, and he's also very effective uh, playing over the top. You know, he, don't bring him in as the star in the box. A little undersized for that, six foot one ninety, but he's somebody who came in um, and is really good in just making life difficult for receivers does great with his hands and really good at recognizing routes when he's playing um, all the way in the back. Uh, one of my favorite names in the draft is Jalen Petrie. Um, Cause it reminds me of that dinosaur movie from when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> now this is someone who I think is more uh, suited for that star position where he's, you know, more strong safety closer or in the box. Um, he has played some free safety, but I think he's really more meant to be close to the line of scrimmage. Doesn't have that elite range that we're talking about for being the you know last line of defense. But Petrie is Baylor's Nakobe Dean. Every time there's a play, he's in on it. You know, you just feed off that energy. He's versatile in that he can play, you know, linebacker, uh, slot, strong safety, all those kind of spots. And is a plus player no matter where you put him at those. Uh, number was he four, the player that made the stop at the end of the Big 12 championship game? That, like, ridiculous final tackle? Uh, I'm trying to remember. It's not a bit. It doesn't really matter. It was just my question because that was one of the best tackles to end the game that I've seen. And, of course, I can't remember his name. Yeah. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah, somebody looked that up. Um, it could be. Probably was. He's always involved. But, anyway, uh, Jaquan Brisker. Uh, is somebody who's another one of the do-it-all guys, and we see a lot of that. Um, he's somebody who Bruce Feldman put on his all-time freaks list. Or not all-time, but, you know, this season's uh, freaks list. He's only 6'1", 200 pounds, um, but he has a standing broad jump of 10'7", which is pretty great. Um, he's someone who does well in the slot. He's been able to play pretty good in man coverage, so that's not his strength. Um, really good. Um, if you're looking to play him, um, you know, just within the safety roles, a lot of deep zones, um, work one high, two high, all those sorts of things. Um, but I think, you know, he still does play well in man. Really, all of the uh, guys two through five here um, are pretty interchangeable on a lot of these lists. I got similar grades on all of them. Uh, but, you know, this is just something of the or order I've got. And then uh, who's seen? from Georgia. He's been single high, but I think he's going to be best in that strong safety role. Absolutely violent as a tackler. Whoever gets him is really going to love this guy just because of that sort of physicality and the consistent, um, you know, energy that he plays with. Like, dude is just everything that you need, um, you know, in a playmaker. He's, you know, going to be mostly a safety, a little bit of slot. Um, you know, doesn't have the best range, you know, 
he's got more, you know, worth in the passing game than someone like Landon Collins, but you're really looking at him as, you know, that physical kind of enforcer, play closer to the line and, you know, just be a playmaker. Uh, and those are all of the positions. They are, which means you got to give your sleepers real fast. And by the way, I answered my own question. It's J. Ron McVeigh who made the game-saving tackle, so it doesn't really matter. I was just seeing if you knew. All right, give your sleepers because I know that's your favorite. And then, Tom, we got to get his first-round full mock. And then, obviously, our Jets and Giants. Yeah. Obvious. Oh, and don't worry. I'm ending this one with my favorite name in the whole class. Uh Linebacker Channing Tindall, I've seen him, you know, going as low as, you know, in a hundred. Uh, he was a backup, which, you know, usually doesn't get you second round picks. But um, I think Channing Tindall is really worth um, much more than he's being credited for. Sets a great edge, great pass rusher. Um, I think he's going to be able to, you know, develop a lot in the league when he gets consistent minutes. He's going to get more plays. Um, you know, once he gets to the NFL than he did in college, but he's a disruptor. He's not a pure edge. He's more about, you know, that outside overhang linebacker, but damn good. Um, they have Kobe Bryant, who I think is very strange to be a sleeper because he just won the Jim Thorpe. Um, he's the number two corner for Cincinnati and he gets ticked a lot because of, um, you know, lack of quickness and agility and some of these other pieces and the way that he just launches and tackling instead of um, some of the other pieces. But he plays slot. He plays wide. He does that at, you know, six foot two while still being able to run in the four, 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 five range. He's willing tackler and he has great length. I think, um, you know, we're seeing that. And I think too many people are overthinking that one. You know, phenomenal player. I have a, two more corners on this list that I'm going to get through. Zion McCollum, uh, six, four. Uh, corner out of Sam Houston State. Tons of physicality, all sorts of size. And he's someone that really popped at the Senior Bowl and got me to start watching tape of, you know, Sam Houston State. Uh, very much worth it. So physical, uh, not necessarily as a tackler where he's got to improve. But if you want to talk about tight ends being basketball players, like this is the power forward you need to compete. Willing to run support, but not great in it. Um, maybe not the best man coverage, doesn't have, you know, the quickness that we want. But if you can put him in some press zone, you know, I think he's someone who can really shine. And on the opposite side of that spectrum, I have Marcus Jones from Houston, who's really getting mocked a lot of times around the fourth round. And I think he's more late second, early third. Um, he's 5'8", and he's only played outside corner. So, you know, with that size, we're probably going to be moving him to the slot. Um, especially since most of what he does is man coverage. And that's really where he's at, his best. However, he's also the best returner to come out in a few years. And I think that alone uh, is, you know, worthwhile. If he doesn't offer you anything on defense, but you still know that you're set for your kick and punt returner, like that alone is a pretty valuable trait. And all the stuff that he can do at cornerback, which is a lot more than he's given credit for. I think he's, you know, one of those players getting docked for their size. Um, I think he's really going to be able to prove a lot of people wrong, which I think is, you know, really what he's going for. Uh, Zach Tom, he plays left tackle at Wake Forest as well as center. He's someone with really good mirror skills. Um, I love the kind of mobility that he has despite the fact that he isn't the longest and strongest player. Um, not great in the run game yet. I think he's going to need some strength and, you know, figure out whether or not he's best using his mobility at center or tackle. 
Um, it, it's interesting when you have a player who just skips from center straight to tackle, no guard in between. Um, it's, I think he might be better at center, but um, you know that kind of agility on the outside, I think, is well worth it at tackle. So those are some guys in the you know round four-ish range that I think should be up a little bit. Um, for my late sleepers, uh, I got uh, Bo Melton out of Rutgers. Um, and it's fun when you get to talk about Rutgers because you never get to when you're talking football. Um, he's someone who's got a lot of quickness and ability, kind of like a Tavon Austin, where I think you could use him in a lot of different ways. Um, someone else who I think is going to be a really good return specialist, in addition to being able to use in some gadget spots, uses quickness on some bubble screens, you know, end around and a lot of other pieces like that. Uh, Micah McFadden is a safety converted to linebacker. Um, so he started that um, at safety, moved in, became the Mike. He's really built more like a safety, but absolutely violent. 6'2", 230. Um, so even if people, you know, talk about him being undersized, he has the same weight as, um, you know, Nicobe Dean. And I don't think it's going to hold Micah back either. That safety background um, shows up when you put him into zone coverage, where he's got a lot of awareness um, and is really quick when it comes to being able to, you know, crash down on a player um, trying to make a catch. The kind of speed that he's got, I think, um, is really going to help as a blitzer. Doesn't have, you know, the best side-to-side mobility, um, but he's going to be someone who's going to, you know, make a roster and stay there. Um, someone who I think should be drafted, but on most boards I'm seeing is going undrafted, uh, is Tyree Johnson. And Tyree Johnson popped to me when I was watching Charles Cross film because he's the only player all season that I saw beat Charles Cross to the edge. Um, and he just blasted on through. He's got um, some pass rush specialists in him, where I think that's a good way to start him off. If we're going to develop him into more, that's fine. But um, he's got really good explosion. And, you know, that burst alone is going to be able to get to quarterbacks at times, especially as the flexibility improves. Um, you know, his length isn't the best, but he's able to use it well. And his hands are actually pretty adept for a player, um, you know, at his rank on most boards. Uh, I have wide receiver Trey Turner. Uh, you might know him from some ridiculous catches, including um, one that Odell Beckham wish he could have had against Miami. Um, <clears throat> this is a guy who I think uh, is being underrated just purely on his ability in contested catches. Part of his problem is that, you know, he has to make contested catches because his agility isn't, you know, quite what it should be. I think it's a lot due to the fact that his route running isn't the best. And you can improve on route running, um, you know, in the league. Or you can find ways to just give him some routes that will work for him, you know. If he's someone who just does in post, out corner, and dig, something like that, um, you know, that would be enough of a tree if you can, you know, work on those pieces with him. Uh, his route running just isn't great and that's what holds him back but his hands are exceptional um and i think he has enough acceleration where if he learns how to you know run routes you know his ball skills are gonna you know be able to really help him stick in the league as well as some power after the catch virginia and, tech right yeah Bata, right there yep. sorry yep. and uh my last guy is the captain of the all-name team despite big cap ryan being around um sincere mccormick Oh, nice. Yeah, spectacular. Uh, from University of Texas, San Antonio. Um, he's got 
a long career, three years, 4,000 yards, 35 touchdowns. Um, you know, UTSA had a really good season this past year. Um, and he plays at about 5'9", over 200 pounds, and he plays like a little bowling ball. He's got a lot of power to his game. And he's also, you know, at that size, been pretty good as a pass catcher, too. Um, his shiftiness, his vision, um, and his ability to catch the ball, in addition to the fact that he's, you know, got the kind of compact size that's going to help him, you know, squeeze through gaps as well as, you know, continue to work your way through. Um, there have been some people who comped him to Aaron Jones, um, which, again, as we're talking about someone who's often graded below, you know, that sort of level, you know, that feels like a player who should be up higher, but got his balance as he goes, um, it, it, his balance is great. And I just, I, I think he's someone who's, you know, going to make a team really happy. If we're talking about value of running backs, you know, he's somebody who might get picked up in the fifth, sixth round, who's, you know, going to be able to be, you know, one of the features backs in a one, two duo or something uh, over the next year or two. He feels like the kind of guy that goes to the 49ers. Nobody's heard of him. And then all of a sudden gets a thousand yards. All right, Tom, write that down. Sincere McCormick for the Greenwich Big Dogs. Be ready to pounce. There we go. That's it's a good fantasy name. Um, all right, you guys ready to move on to the mock? Let's oh. fucking go. Let's do it. Let's go. Sean, no right, Giants questions. One... Just let them run through it, will you? Oh, I was just I was just gonna say one through ten, and sorry for asking questions and being inquisitive. I'm really I'm really sorry to do that to our guest here. Um, yeah, well, our listeners, one through ten, run yeah. through them. All right, uh, number one pick, I've got Leak. No, uh, I have Aiden Hutchinson, edge out of Michigan. Um, I think it's just a pretty easy spot, and pairing him with the other Josh Allen is going to be exceptional. Good luck, AFC South. Uh, two, I have the Detroit Lions taking Trayvon Walker. Um, you know, rumors are coming out of um, Detroit, who spent a lot of time in Oregon scouting uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. Is he's not Dan Campbell's guy? That could be fake. And, you know, you can flip him with the next edge I have going, and that's fine. Um, but I think Trayvon Walker also fits not just what the sort of things that Detroit's building in terms of a selfless player, but he comes in with the same sort of athleticism that they seem to covet in Detroit, you know, looking at picks like Panay Sewell, um, who is more athlete than refined player yet. Uh, same sort of traits happen with Trayvon Walker, who's more athlete than defined player right now and can offer a ton of potential off that edge. At Houston, I have them taking Evan Neal, tackle out of Alabama. And the reason I have that is because Laramie Tunsil next year might be one of those surprise players who gets cut or traded and we don't see coming. Um, I think they've got to start, you know, making some tough decisions in Houston. Even if you keep Tunsil, you have a one-two duo on the edges of he and Neal. Like, I'm not sure if there's going to be a better tackle pair in the league, you know, in the next three years. The Jets, New York Jets. On the board, ding, 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 ding. Uh, I got them taking Ahmad Gardner out of Cincinnati. Um, I think he's a perfect fit for the defense that New York's running. And I think that he's going to offer, um, you know, solid just so much that he can do and fix what, you know, has been one of the Jets' biggest problems for years now is, you know, the past defense being abysmal. You get a solution to that, plus Carl Lawson coming back, not saying we don't need to touch up on the edge. But that's already a you know vastly improved defense from what we had last year. 
and can focus the rest of the way on making things better for Zach Wilson. Five, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau's on the board. I got him going to the Giants at five. Still have two tackles on the board, and I'm just going to assume the Giants will take whichever one is left um, in order to ensure that they can get Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, number six, I have the Panthers uh, not going quarterback. I think it would be um, you know, very likely that Pickett or Willis could go here, and Willis even you know, sometimes being talked about going up at number two to the Lions. But I think uh, the Panthers, it's one of those you know, foolish mistakes that teams make. Don't let the guy you're about to fire pick your quarterback. Um, it, Matt Rule might be on the hottest seat in the league. I think if it wasn't for having a seven-year contract, he would – already would have been fired. So um, they also have a major hole at left tackle. I think Akemaquanu going there gets to stay in state, um, would fill that gap and bring a lot of, you know, energy and, you know, grit that that team needs. Seven out of Charles Cross going to the Giants. The Nate Solder years are officially behind us. Um, wonderful. And Charles Cross had, you know, a lot of one-on-one workout time with Bobby Johnson, the offensive line coach for the Giants. And they specifically worked on right tackle drills. Um, it seems that there's been some contact between them continuing. I think that, you know, this would be a pretty good fit, shore up those tackles, uh, which we know at least one of them has always been a problem. Uh, at eight, I have the Falcons taking Garrett Wilson, wide receiver out of Ohio State. He can come in and fill that Calvin Ridley role. Uh, Atlanta gets to keep the same sorts of continuity they had before with a route runner and then the huge target. Um, you know, this isn't necessarily Julio and Calvin Ridley quite yet, um, but it's a young duo that's going to be able to build to hopefully be that type. And number nine, I have the Seattle Seahawks taking Malik Willis, quarterback out of Liberty. Um, he offers a lot of the same skill set that we've seen uh, out of Russell Wilson, not the same ability in those, but the skill set itself and the sorts of things you want to do with him are very similar, and it gets to keep that same sort of thing. Because Seattle's a wild card every year. They do ridiculous stuff. You know, Rashad Penny, um, that defensive end from uh, TCU, they always end up on my losers list. And that's why they're picking so high when it's not even their pick. Um, Number 10, New York Jets again go with Drake London, who I think is just a match made in heaven for Zach Wilson. Uh, And there's some talk that the Jets might, uh, you know, use that four pick on offense, but I think Sauce is just too perfect of a fit for them to pass on. Um, But I think Drake London, you know, falling to 10, if that's even a fall, I think that's, you know, right around his range, um, is the perfect fit. Zach Wilson in college was used to throwing a Milnet and, you know, some of these other skyscraper receivers. The Jets have given him a lot of those underneath guys, which, you know, is obviously great. You need to have those. But if you give him that, you know, big target, because one of Zach Wilson's great strengths is, when he's moving, he's making it easier for his receivers to get some space. And Wilson's movement alone can make 50-50 balls go to 60-40. You get Drake London on there trying to catch them, and 60-40 balls are 75-25. Um, I think that the two of them together would be a really good duo. And there's my top ten. Tom, how happy are you if this happens? I mean, those were my – I think I said on the pod before, those were my picks right there. That's my oh. four, and that's my ten. So I can go to bed after that. I don't even have to watch the rest of the, <laughs> the rest of the first round or the next day. It's perfect. Yeah, I want yeah. it from the Giants fan perspective too. Yeah, I, th- I think both of the teams make out pretty well. I, honestly, I don't know if there'd be a fan base that's too upset here. Maybe the Panthers fans would be pretty upset that they don't get to have a quarterback here. 
um, you know, the Sam Darnold Not the experience. smart ones, though. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, if, if we just, you know, make smart fans do things, I think that we're going to, you know, not have anybody to do anything at all. You know, that's <laughs> why they're called fans. I was kind of waiting for you to put quarterback to Atlanta, but I guess you see them go in receiver instead. Yeah, well, part of it to that is the relationship that uh, Marcus Mariota has with Arthur Smith. I don't think that's uh, Mariota's necessarily coming in as a bridge quarterback. I think, you know, he might be there as um, a potential solution, you know. And given the fact that they have someone who will be able to keep them competitive this year, I think that their bigger need is to, um, set things up around them, and if they need a quarterback next season, um, well, it's you know shaping up to be a much better draft for that. All right, that makes sense, I guess, if they have that much faith in Mariota. I, I don't see it, but yeah, obviously, and we we haven't worked with Mariota for the last couple of years the way that Arthur Smith has, right? Uh, and you know that's why a value you know we don't get to make those picks. For better and worse. So, you know, the way our you know, teams have gone in the last few years might be for worse. Um, so should I give you my next 10? Let's go. All right. At 11, I have the Washington uh, military taking Derek Stingley. Um, wow. Yeah, sure up that defense. I know a lot of people have Hamilton going there, um, but they need some corners too. And if you get Chase Young and the rest of that pass rush going, and if Stingley can go back to the player we've seen him as and the player that he's tested as, you know, that's a defense that's just going to give people headaches forever. Um, at 12, I have the Vikings getting Kyle Hamilton. And I think that he's a better player than the 12th best player in this draft, but positional value matters. Um, but Minnesota is able to, you know, get in there and just get an elite player to control their back end. And when you're going against Aaron Rodgers and, well, I guess, when it's Aaron Rodgers, you need it. But I guess it's Jared Goff and Justin Fields right now. You just want to have that. Um, at 13, I have the Texans getting Jermaine Johnson, the edge rusher out of Florida State. I've already talked a lot about, you know, what makes him so great. They got Evan Neal on one side, and you get Jermaine Johnson for the other side of the trenches. I think Texans fans are coming out pretty happy with that. Seems like they're giving Davis Mills a chance to run it back. I think Lovey Smith has got to be thrilled to have, you know, an edge rusher like that to pair up with you know, some of the talent that he's already got. At 14, I have the Ravens taking George Karloftis. Um, it, it feels like a Ravens pick. They don't have a great, um, you know, defensive line on the interior or on the edge. I think they need upgrades at both spots. Congratulations. Karloftis says one player gives you upgrades at both spots. I think this could also be, um, you know, really, this is kind of my projection for as high as Linderbaum could go. If one of the tackles starts to slip, I think the Ravens would, you know, love to be able to snatch one of them. But this is a team that traditionally moves backwards, not forwards in drafts. So, um, you know, we'll we'll see what happens there. They're they're a very interesting team to try and figure out. But I think Karloftis offers them a lot of what they're missing. At 15 with the Eagles, I have been taking Jamison Williams, the wide receiver from Alabama. ACL tear aside, he might not play the first, you know, half of the season. But he's going to be a burner and walks in there, gets to play next to Devontae Smith. I think, you know, the two of them are going to be able to give defenses headaches for years to come. It's a little difficult going receiver in back-to-back drafts. Oh, wait, back-to-back-to-back drafts. But, you know, that's what you have to do if you, you know, need to keep building it. 
Um, and I think the Eagles would be able to just have so many weapons, even if Rieger doesn't pan out, his speed alone will make him something. Um, but Devontae Smith and Jamison Williams, you know, that'll cause problems for the NFC East for the next decade. Uh, Saints at 16. And I think the Saints are very much in play to trade up for a quarterback. Um, you know, right now they've got Jameis and they're very hopeful that he'll be able to, you know, take that next step with them, despite the fact that he's coming off injuries. Now, a lot of the chatter is the fact that the Saints had made these moves so that they could take a player here um, or get a second player to really push them over the edge with how weak the NFC is at the moment. Um, so I'm working off of some of that intel, and hopefully soon I'll find out how bad it was. Um, but here I have the Saints taking Trevor Penning, the tackle out of northern Iowa. Brings a ton of toughness and energy to the team, in addition to being able to jump right in and fill the spot that Toronto Armstead left. 17, I have the Chargers taking Jordan Davis, the defensive lineman out of Georgia. You know, the Chargers' run defense just went from terrible to great. Um you put him there as well as with Derwin James, you shored up that interior a little bit. You know, you solved one of your defense's biggest problems. Um, I think Wyatt could also go here. Um, Chargers are in a good spot. They're still young and building, even though, you know, their quarterback hasn't taken them to the Super Bowl yet. Like you're supposed to in your second year. Come on. Uh, Eagles, um, at eight, Eagles at 18, Trent McDuffie corner out of Washington. There's a lot of ways the Eagles could go here. I thought about, you know, trying to shore up that offensive line, but, um, I didn't think Linderbaum would go here considering Landon Dickerson's already there. And I think he can be the heir apparent to Kelsey when he's gone. Uh, their secondary needs some help. Trent McDuffie put him across the way. Um, you know, they, they're already building a decent secondary there. I think that uh, we'll be able to, you know, help them out a little bit more corner. So now they've got a corner and a wide receiver so far. Building on the uh, outsides is you know, they've strengthened their interior already. Uh, Saints at 19, Chris Olave. So we already got a nice offensive tackle. Now we've got a wide receiver to pair with Michael Thomas. Olave can, you know, give speed, but he already has some savvy with route running. Um, but I think he's going to be able to take the top off in a way that's going to free up Michael Thomas underneath even more, as well as being able to help out some of the other pieces, you know, that are going on there. And at 20, I have my second quarterback coming off the board. Uh, Kenny Pickett stays home, goes to Pittsburgh, uh, and learns from Mitchell Trubisky for a game or two. Uh, I think this pick just fits. <clears throat> Pickett seems to be projected higher than I've got him scouted at. Um, and I hope Pittsburgh's weather gets to stay as nice as it was this year for him. All right. Pretty loaded there, Tom. What did you take out of that out of that group right there? For me personally, I just love the pick with the Chargers. The one Achilles heel, I guess you could say, they had last year, aside from their coach just thinking that there was four <laughs> downs and that you just weren't allowed to punt. Um, four kick field goals uh, was their was run awesome. defense. Uh, that that was, I think it was the worst in the league, or it had, it was either thirty one or thirty two. They were just absolutely terrible. It was like the parting of the Red Sea for them down the middle, and exactly. I just think that's a perfect pick for them right there. Yeah, that was one that stood out to me. I think Hamilton in Minnesota that would be amazing. And you answered my Derek Stingley question, having him up as high as eleven to Washington. Yeah, I think both of those. Ed- Often when I, you know, peruse other mock drafts just to make sure I'm not doing something outlandish, like, you know, mocking round five guys too high or whatever else I would fuck up. 
but a lot of times I see Hamilton going to Washington and Stingley to the Vikings. But I think that Washington, you know, they 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 could really use a top tier corner, um, you know, to work things out with them. And I know they cut Landon Collins, but um, they've already got some firepower at safety there coming on. So I think Washington um, with Stingley just makes a little bit more sense from a standpoint. Um, so that was it there. So I'll, get it. I'll round out the first round for you now and then talk about that and get to the teams who don't have first round picks. Um, so 21 Patriots guard Zion Johnson from Boston College. Um, you know, that offensive line could still use a little work. They had some losses this offseason. I think that Zion Johnson slots right in at whichever guard they want. Uh, keep him home. It just feels like the sort of way the Patriots do business. The board just falls to them and they fill an immediate need with a good player. Green Bay Packers. Uh, I'm not going to give you a quarterback this year. Don't worry. Um, I actually think that this is the year they're going to go wide receiver. You know, Devontae Adams had to leave. Get it. Jahan Dotson, wide receiver out of Penn State, I think makes sense. The thing Aaron Rodgers loves more than anything else are sound route runners. If you can just get to where you're supposed to be, he can put the ball there. Jahan Dotson may not be the most explosive, um, but he's a really sound route runner with some great quickness out of his cuts. Um, and I think he's someone who can make life a lot easier um, for Aaron Rodgers. You know, think about the sort of uh, Sterling Shepard type slants, the way that um, Jahan Dotson is able to just make that cut and he's right there for the ball. 23 for the Cardinals. I have Andrew Booth Jr., cornerback out of Clemson. I mean, they got to do something about this defense. Um, Isaiah Simmons has been struggling. He did a lot better this year, but they're still working out the roles for him. Um, I think they just need someone to get on the outside, man up to some receivers, and, you know, just bring some athleticism to the back end and, uh, you know, really make it difficult for other teams, especially if they're going to keep trying to run all these high-power offense stuff. You know, you got to get the backside ready on the other way. Uh, Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I really considered uh, – Linderbaum here, and I think he'll be in play. That offensive line needs some work, um, but their safety position has been an absolute shit show for, I don't know, the last forever. Uh, so I have them going with Daxton Hill out of Michigan, uh, safety, and I think he just brings some stability to what's been the most unstable position on that team. Um, additionally, Dan Quinn has always valued safeties pretty highly, so um, that would give him someone who can work the back end as well as come underneath because um, Hill can play all those roles. Um, the Bills, I think that, you know, they could use help in a few different positions, despite the fact that their roster is pretty stacked. Tredavious White's coming back from an injury, so um, let's, you know, shore up that secondary of Kier Elam, corner out of Florida, you know, straight-up man, physical corner. I think that sort of physicality helps, especially in the cold weather, and be able to come in um, and not just, you know, be there to compete for a spot, be there as injury concern, but I think he's someone that you'll be able to work in in different ways, um, you know, even when everybody backsides healthy. Uh, 26, I have the Titans taking Devin Lloyd. I've got Lloyd uh, as well as Dean rated higher than I think that they're going to go. Um, just working on player fits and how this goes, but I think either of them would be great fits for the Eagles. Um, but here, you know, we've got a linebacker and uh, head coach up there taking a linebacker and draft pick here. Um, Lloyd comes in, fills a need, becomes the heartbeat of that defense, uh, and offers them a lot of versatility. 27, I have the Bucks getting Kenyon Green. Brady's back. Build him an offensive line. Um, and Green's also really going to help in that run game, which can be a little bit iffy at times. 
28. Now I have the Packers going away from Aaron Rodgers. Uh, D-lineman Devontae Wyatt from Georgia. You know, being able to shoot those gaps, putting him on the interior rush next to Rashawn Gary on passing downs, I think that could really do some damage up in that uh, division, which, you know, they're supposed to win anyway. But also it'll probably help teams, you know, not be able to run the ball down their throat so often in the postseason. Uh, 29, I have the Chiefs taking Boye Mafe. He's an edge rusher I didn't get the chance to talk about because, you know, I can only have five. Um, I think Mafe has just exceptional athleticism. He's someone who does a great job just bursting through the corner, and he's doing that at 6'4". Um, he uses his length really well, and I think that explosion, he'll have an instant impact. Uh, and then Chiefs have back-to-back picks. So at 30, I have them also taking Sky Moore out of Western Michigan. And he's someone who, again, just always finds ways to get open. Great speed. We're not replacing Tyreek Hill, but we're finding other receivers that complement the way that the offense wants to go, and Sky Moore is going to be able to do that. He's just—he's a playmaker. And the Chiefs find ways when you have fast playmakers to make it work. 31, I have the absolute dream scenario for the Bengals. They get Tyler Linderbaum, uh, center out of Iowa, um, I know they didn't take offensive line last year, and if they'd take another receiver, fine. I guess this is just how they do it. But I think that offensive line needs some work. Linderbaum comes right in. Center position, Burrow gets to stay up more. Congrats. You did it. Literally couldn't be better for a Bengals fan. And at 32, uh, I have the Detroit Lions ending the first round by taking the certified knee-biter, N'Kobe Dean, linebacker out of Georgia. Couldn't do a first round without you know, getting him in there somewhere. Um, I think his size is going to make him slip, despite the fact that I think he ought to go far higher than this. Um, And I think that the Lions, you know, walking out of the draft, um, you get N'Kobe Dean and you pair him with Trayvon Walker. Um, You know, what just happened in your front seven was it went from, you know, bad to the strength of your team. So I think they'd have to be pretty happy with that. And that would wrap up my first round. I absolutely love that Linderbaum pick with with Cincinnati. That would be incredible, and I like Devin Lloyd in uh, in Tennessee as well. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what I'm doing is based on the knowledge and the rumors that come out, but you also got to try and find ways to make it fit. And I think those are some guys who would fit, you know, really well in those scenarios. And um, you know, I, I I also think that it's very possible that these are the sorts of things that happen. Otherwise, I wouldn't put it here and. I think that, you know, if you're a Bengals fan, you literally just couldn't be happier with that. If uh, if Linderbaum does go earlier, I, I wouldn't put it past him to take one of the other ones. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, I, I think I think they'd uh, – listen, last year I understood took and chase, but I think they have to at some point address that offensive line. And I yeah, think, that's all I'm saying. At one point, like, at what point are you going to let Joe Burrow become Andrew Luck? Yep. Like, it's looking like that. Do already. something. Exactly. I wouldn't blame him if they don't fix it. He goes win the Super Bowl and walks away at 26. They got to do something for him. Um, so the last thing I'm going to do is I always do the uh, first pick for teams who don't have a first round pick. You know, I, I don't want to exclude anybody here. Um, so at 39, I have the Bears taking Bernard Ryman. Already talked about him. Tackle turn, or tackle used to be a tight end. Um, 
let's remember Nate Solder, who also made that move, was pretty good until he became a giant. You know, there's a lot of issues. We need some refinement here, but I think he's an upgrade over what the Bears are already using at tackle. Colts at 42. I have the Marvin Leal, the edge-slash-interior defensive lineman out of Texas A&M. Uh, would have been in my top five if he was placed as a uh, interior guy, where I think he'll play more in the NFL, but he did a lot more edge uh, at A&M. I think if you're able to you know, work with him on the defensive line, Pair him with DeForest Buckner, DeMarvin Neal, and then Quiddy Pay. Like the three of them just would be one of the best trios that you could have trying to penetrate and just overwhelm offensive lines. Um, you know, we've seen the Colts do this where they try and strengthen a strength with their picks. Um, and I think this would be a really good way of doing that. At the Browns of 44, taking Travis Jones out of UConn. You know, the guy's been great in the offseason. He was fantastic at the senior bowl. Um, and the Browns, much like the Chargers, need someone to fill up the middle of their defensive line and take care of it. 49ers at pick 61. This feels a little bit late for our first tight end, but that's where I have Trey McBride going. When Kittle was hurt, the whole offense just slowed down. <clears throat> and Kittle's a phenomenal player. But they got to find a way to make sure that, you know, if that happens again, they're able to adjust. Also, Shanahan uses a lot more um, two tight end personnel more than um, anyone else in the Shanahan tree. <clears throat> this would give him a level extra flexibility. And Trey Lance, who's worked a lot under center, is going to be able to utilize that down the middle of the field more. Uh, at pick 64, I have Tariq Woolen, the uh, cornerback out of, excuse me, where is that? Uh, out of uh, UTSA. Yeah, the road runners. There we go. Uh, UTSA, uh, San Antonio, same team as uh, Sincere McCormick. Um, the defensive coordinator, Ajiro Evero, who's now the defensive coordinator for the Broncos, he's worked under Monty Kiffin, Don Capers, Vic Fangio, Raheem Morris. One thing they all like is zone blitz and big corners. Ulan um, is six foot four and plays really well in strength. He's got great reaction when he's in zone. And I think that if you want to attack aggressively, you know, you need to have the sorts of corners who can hold up in that way. Um, and I think that would just be a home run selection for them um, to get here at 64. At 81, I have the Raiders taking Troy Anderson, linebacker out of Montana State. Like, that's a defense that needs size, it needs juice, and, you know, uh, Anderson is someone who has all of the elite length, size, testing numbers. Um, he started playing cornerback at Montana State. Then he became a running back, and then he ended his career at linebacker. He's got a lot of you know, physicality from the running back spot, the intelligence from the quarterback spot. All those pieces translate to linebacker, and he's been improving with his reaction time. I think this is someone with phenomenal traits who's going to really help secure the interior of that defense with the Raiders. Uh, at 102, which is incredible that that's where someone's picking, uh, Miami Dolphins get D'Angelo Malone. Uh, juice from the pass rush. Uh, he's an edge out of Western Kentucky. Uh, go Hilltoppers. Yeah. Uh, he's really explosive. He's got the closing speed. He's not going to be an every-down player, but we're talking pick 102. You're getting a pass rusher with, you know, a lot of explosion out of that. I think, you know, you're pretty happy with it. 
And the Rams last one at 104, I have them taking Khalil Shakir, wide receiver out of Boise State. Because um, right now they have Cup and Van Jefferson. Um, we'll see if they bring Odell back. But, you know, their team really came together when they added more weapons. Shakir's a threat. Above average out run, route runner. Pretty good measurables. Um, you know, pretty good in the quick game as well. And I think you know, is the sort of player where the Rams will be able to put him in successful positions and just kind of help, you know, retool and restock, um, you know, in a spot where they need to do a little bit of extra work. It feels like a Rams pick and a guy that'll end up being a top fantasy player in two years. Exactly. That's how it always goes with them. All right. First round is mocked. Our extra teams are mocked, which means you need to do your full seven-round mocks for the Jets and the Giants. Tom, do you want him to start with the Jets, or do you want him to start with the Giants? Sorry, I'm just looking at your rate, my professor. I'm just taking a look. <laughs> <laughs> just having my son. You teach at what school again? University. Uh, I'm not going to tell you. Well, if this is the one, it looks it's looking good. Oh, then it probably is. I just don't want my work email getting spammed by people who hate my picks. I got a text from Frenchie the other day saying I'm better at my hobby than most people are at their jobs. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, he's he's got a very good score. I, I might take him. You know, I might pick up a class. <laughs> Love to have you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Let's lead off with right. the Jets. I'm giddy about it. They don't have a pick outside the fifth round. They've got a lot of early picks. Yeah, both of these teams did a great job of uh, not letting me do a seven-round mock because neither of them have seventh-round picks. Um, so the Jets, are, like I said before, I started with Sauce Gardner and uh, Drake London in the first. So at 35, uh, I have them going with Brees Hall, the running back from Iowa State. I, I think I mentioned it before. He's a perfect fit in the shanahan LaFleur system. I really like Michael Carter. Um, like I talked about last year, he was a great pick coming out in the fourth round for them. Um, but we had a lot of juice here with Brees Hall. I think the two of them are a great duo. Um, and Hall's really comfortable out of, you know, the shotgun, which helps Wilson, because um, he's also, you know, very comfortable out of that same spot, but it doesn't limit the running game as much. Combine numbers were phenomenal, um, and also the combine numbers were just conf- confirming what we saw in the field, that this guy who looked like, you know, he's going to be a hell of a running back really is. Uh, at 38, I have Daniel Falele, the offensive tackle out of Minnesota. Um, he's 6'8 and about 400 pounds. We've seen Joe Douglas go for the oversized tackle before. Um, and this offers some injury insurance for Becton. This offers someone who can you know, work into that right tackle spot as well, where Fant might be. Um, but also, you know, he's an absolute mauler in the run game. Like, if you, if you want to just, you know, go six offensive linemen down the line of scrimmage, you know, go behind Becton and Falele. Uh, they're combined almost 800 pounds. You're not getting through it. Um, and he offers, you know, great length. Um, doesn't have a ton of quickness, but that length kind of, um, you know, helps him make up for it. Uh, at 39, I have Isaiah Likely from Coastal Carolina. Talked about him a little bit. Built a lot like Evan Ingram, but a drop rate of, 1.7%, which is better than Devontae Smith's drop percentage when he came out. 
Um, though far fewer attempts. Not a great blocker, but we're not taking a guy to block here. We got six four and really good speed who's going to work out of different alignments. Um, you know, so you pair him with getting you know a really good running back from Brees Hall, some insurance on the offensive line, and Drake London. Um, and I think just in these you know first was that first five picks, you know, you've already you know had a big improvement on your defense in addition to making life a lot better for Zach Wilson. I I love everything you're saying. I mean, I want to <laughs> I, I want to sure up uh, outside of the first two picks, which we already discussed. I, I want to mm-hmm. sure up the offensive line with Vera Tucker as well as Becton in there. Um, yep. Which makes me really excited. And then getting another tight end. I mean, I know we signed Uzoma, but the Jets haven't had a good tight end. And uh, can you name the last one? Because I can't. So uh, more options, the better. Yeah. And again, that's a position where you can't just have one guy. Yep. You you really want to be able to rotate through. And, you know, if you've only got one, then it's pretty easy to figure out who's doing what, especially when someone else comes in. So in the fourth round, I have uh, Brandon Smith, the linebacker out of Penn State. Um, he's got great tools, um, but he got put in the box position this year. He's not a Mike. Um, he's more in that Jeremiah Wusukaramoa sort of mold where your weak side linebacker slot sort of piece there. Um, but he's got, you know, value, covers tight ends, plays the big slot. And I think that, you know, especially in zone coverage, uh, he could be an asset. Uh, pick 117 in the fourth round. I got Tyrese Robinson, an interior offensive lineman from Oklahoma. Um, again, we're just trying to build some offensive depth. Um, he's got a lot of experience on the inside, and he brings a lot of power. Um, and his you know, strength is strength. He has a lot of power in the run game. He does well anchoring, but um, needs to work on his feet in order to be able to mirror against a good pass rush. But, and again, things that we can actually work on. 146 here in the fifth round. Pascal Garrett, the interior defensive lineman from Ohio State. Um, this is a player where you're looking at traits over production, did not produce, but he's got a really natural quickness, and that's going to help him pressure from any of the interior spots. Um, and again, fifth round, we're getting someone who can you know, give you interior pass rush. I think that's pretty good value, especially with you know his athletic upside. And then the last pick of the draft, round five, 136. We're going to double up on the pass rushing, except here with Amare Barno, edge out of Virginia Tech. It's not just the pass rushing, because really what, um, you know, what he's best at is using, you know, speed to just kind of get through and uh, make an impact that way. I think you partner him with Garrett. You know, we have two uh, designated pass rushers who will be able to kind of rotate through in those situations. And again, we're talking fifth round, so getting a couple of guys who, have the potential for 20 snaps a game to make an impact there. Um, I think it's decent value and both guys with good upside. All right, book it, just email it to to the jets and we should be okay. (laughs) I'll send it to the league. Yeah. Perfect. I like, you gotta be giddy here, Tom. You know, it's, it's a blessing and a curse to have, to have Mike on because it doesn't really seem to go the way he, the way he talks about it and he gets me all excited and then I just get pissed (laughs) off. But I, every pick was exactly what I wanted. I want interior defensive line. We, we need some more guys that can get a little bit after the quarterback but also stop the run. Um, 
you know, we did go out, we signed Solomon Thomas this year, and we're get hopefully getting yep. Lawson back off that tough injury, as well as CJ mostly to sure up that that defense as well. But the more the merrier for me. Yeah, and again, it's you know, at certain spots, you know, we're trying to find depth because you know Solomon Thomas has had you know something of a checkered past just on the field, but you know hasn't performed the way that people would have expected, and um, you know. Lawson coming off of an injury, just trying to find ways to ensure yourself against all those sorts of things repeating themselves, I think is you know, a useful way to go about it. Um, and also the way I'm coming up with these is uh, like I look at pro football focuses, mock drafts. I look at uh, the draft network. They've got a whole big piece as well as pro football focus with their entire rankings from those two sites. But there's also a website, NFL mock draft database where they have, you know, hundreds of all of the, you know, pros who are out doing this and publishing their work and mine um, together. um, And they compile and average all of this out to see where, you know, people are being projected, you know, across everybody doing this sort of stuff. So I'm working around averages around those, making sure that I'm not doing anything, you know, too crazy. I'm not giving anyone Kayvon Thibodeau in round three, you know? Um, (laughs) Yeah. So that's something we should have thought of. Just take everybody else's work, compile it, and at, run ads against it. That's That should be our business plan. <laughs> I'm looking forward to our next pod. I can't wait. There you go. So for the Giants, uh, I already mentioned starting off with Kayvon Thibodeau and Charles Cross. Uh, in round two, I have Roger McCreary, uh, corner out of Auburn. He's my number six corner, and um, I think that he's someone ton of quickness. He's shown the ability to compete with elite receivers, despite the fact that his lasting memory in college football is that two-point conversion that John Mechie scored on him. Um, and really, he's got one flaw, and it's that his arms are pretty short for a corner. He's, his arms are about 28 inches. I know we talk about arm length rarely, but this is a guy who's mostly been outside and worked in press man. And arm length is one of those things that's pretty helpful when you have that. Um, his skill set, I think he should be able to work inside, but most of what he's done is at the outside. There's a lot of talk about James Bradbury being on the move. Wink Martindale has also been pretty forward about the fact that he wants great corners because he can scheme up a pass rush. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau, I thought, was too good to pass up, but here we get one of those corners who can work in man and allows us to switch over for our third-round picks and work on the offensive side. Um at number 67 here in round three, I've got James Cook, the running back out of Georgia. Um, and a lot of this has to do with the fact that it seems that um, the Giants won't stop calling James Cook. Um, but this is also, I think, a pretty fair place to take him. Uh, a lot of versatility. He's done great as a pass catcher. And it gives some security that, you know, Saquon Barkley continues to be hurt or you know, all these other pieces. They also signed Matt Breda, but I think this offers, you know, a lot of versatility in the idea that, you know, Saquon may not be retained. Um, We don't have a true bell cow here, but, you know, that's not really all that necessary at the moment. I think, you know, Cook offers a lot of what the Giants could use here, Um, especially just big play juice. You know, when's the last time we got excited about the Giants having a big play? You know, it doesn't happen too often, which is why, here at number 81, I have Greg Dolchich, the tight end out of UCLA. Um, I think, you know, he might be able to walk in and start day one. You know, explosive player, 
averaged over 17 yards per catch in college, and he might not do that in the NFL, but he's someone who's going to be able to stretch the field um, and make things easier for guys underneath in addition to being able to, you know, go out there and make some big plays. You but know, I absolutely love, real fast, just to, before you keep going, I, I love the fact that you're addressing more offense here. And I I, th- I like the thought of a possibly a three running back like rotation tandem when you've got Barkley who's susceptible to injuries. You can keep his, you know, carries down. Maybe he's more productive. you got Breda who's been successful in this league and you bring in a guy like Cook. Like, that's that's really good. And then, obviously, you get a tight end that might actually be able to catch the ball. Um, that's a phenomenal get. Uh, I'm a little, I don't love the second, the second rounder that you have for us, even though, you know, everything you talked about with corner and Martindale, I get, um, I guess the short arms kind of scare me a bit, but they should be, they should be poised to, to upgrade that position, especially if Bradbury is shipped out. Yeah. And it's, it's a shame that, you know, it feels like every year they're drafting another slot corner. And I don't yep. think that is going to be limited to the slot um but it that is a spot where he could be able to uh you know come in and really you know help make an impact um so that's a bit of what i've got going on there so let's move to the latter half in round four i have jojo Dahman, a linebacker out of nebraska he's someone who's again another um guy who mixes in the big slot as well as the mic um, he doesn't have Brandon Smith's pure athleticism, but he's got really good coverage skills. Um, and I think that um, he would allow Blake Martinez to play that downhill role that I think he does much better at than constantly dropping Martinez into zone. Uh, at round five, I have Chris Paul, point guard. No, uh, Chris <laughs> Paul, tackle interior offensive lineman for Tulsa. Uh, I want it to be my Knicks, but it's not. Um, I wish. Also, he, uh, Chris Paul re- here recently dropped an album, so he and Darius Tony will get along great. All right. Paul played a year at left guard, a year at right guard, and two years at right tackle. So we have some versatility, um, someone who has great hands, good power, and just needs to work on not oversetting as much. Um, sometimes he can get a little bit too quick trying to make sure that, you know, he's in position and open up the inside, but, you know, all things that are fixable and, um, you know, things you can keep developing along with his strength. Uh, and round five, now I've got, uh, Mike Rose, another linebacker out of Iowa state, but he is just a run stuffing and blitzing linebacker. Um, really good at getting off of blocks, strong football IQ. You know, right now the giants have, Blake Martinez and a Mr. Irrelevant who's been better than most Mr. Irrelevants. But um, I think that's a spot that really needs, you know, some improvement. Although here they could also go Yusuf Corker, safety or Trey Turner. Or, you know, there's so many other players that we could work with. Uh, and then in round six have the Giants uh, getting a little bit crafty here and going Matt Areza, punter out of San Diego State. Uh, Riley Dixon is gone, and so everybody celebrates because terrible. Um, and right now, all that we've got, you know, all the Giants have is the Scottish Hammer, Jamie Gilliam, which, you know, good player, but available for a reason. So, uh, Mareza averaged over 50 uh, yards per punt. He averaged 51.2 yards per punt. He can absolutely boom it. Um, and he's pretty good directionally. 
I think that would be the spot where we try and do a bit more, you know, improvement. Not a perfect punter, but guy with an absolute cannon for a leg who's been improving on um, bringing it, you know, bringing his direction in a little bit. Additionally, um, he was also their kicker. Now, he's definitely going to be a punter in the pros, but having that, you know, is just fun. He made 96 out of 97 extra points and has made 73% of his field goals, which, you know, isn't a reason to draft a punter, but, you know, fun. Don't care. I'm all in. <laughs> Sign me the hell up. As long as he's not Matt Dodge, uh, I'm good. So let's let's yeah. make it happen. Call it in. Hey, listen, I think there are just some spots that have been where the Giants have been bereft of talent for too long. And I think there's finally an opportunity to address some of them. And you want to spend a six-round pick, you know, on somebody who's going to play a small role or, um, God forbid, another special team's running back or whatever, you know, fine, go for it. I think that spending it, you know, being the team that drafts a punter to get the best one that's available and upgrading that spot, you know, getting an extra eight yards per punt, you know, that that's a really big deal. So everyone I, laughs until they wish they had him. So I'm all yeah. in. Yeah. I, I think it's well worth it. All right, guys, we did it. We did Took it. almost four hours, but we fucking did it. Frenchy, um, you're the man. Thank you. As always. Look forward to it every year. I look forward to talking about what happens 10 days from now. Yes, sir. I I can't can't believe it's here already. And you're also, you got to send us that top 100 list. Um, Hopefully you have it typed up and uh, I can, I can tweet it out. (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right, boys. All right. Always a pleasure. Yes, Thanks, Frenchie.